KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM.
There you go. All right. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. My musical guest. If you haven't noticed, we do have live music with us tonight. His name is Leon. That's all I know, as a matter of fact. We're going to find out more uh, right now. And he's with a lovely young lady whose name is Jessie. And she doesn't have a mic, but we'll say hi to her, too, in a little bit, uh, a little bit of time here. But anyway, Leon, hi. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Good music, my friend. Awesome Thank you. Stuff. Thank you. Uh, yeah, man, uh, I just love the blues. That's what I do. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the story is this. For people who are listening, um, everybody knows that I like to hang out at this place called the Blue Fugue uh, on Monday nights before I do the radio show. And last week, I uh, was sitting down with my friend Casey. And Casey had heard Leon play music. Leon, what's your last name? Majette. It's kind of a French name. I, I like guess. it. How do you spell it? M-I-D-G-E-T-T-E. All right, Majette. All right, so Leon, uh, anyway, was talk- uh, Casey had heard you play. Sure. And uh, we were talking about it, and the radio came up, and then I heard you play. And I was like, all right, I'm going to grab you from Casey, <laughs> because Casey wanted to have you on, on his show first. I don't think you've been on Casey's program yet. Not yet. But he does a great radio show uh, on Wednesday nights from 10 o'clock until midnight, right here, sure. same, same seat. Oh, wow. I know. Uh, make sure you get to know Casey. Maybe I'll take advantage of that he definitely situation. Should. Well. He really should. He's a great uh, young man. He's doing really good work. So, Absolutely. So get to know him. But anyway, I, I, I grabbed you, and uh, <laughs> Leon's here, and Jesse's here, and they're going to play some music for us. As long as I can keep them around, uh, they've got uh, engagements in the morning, as it were. Yeah. But uh, we'll, um, uh, we'll just see how things roll along. But anyway... Let me take care of a little bit of business here, Leon, and we'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll do another song and we'll sure. talk more to you. And uh, Sounds great. I'm I'm due for a cup of coffee, actually. All right. I think Jesse was making some. Yeah. No, I can uh, smell it in there. No, no, I, and I didn't mean that like as a... That, that sounds no. like, like such a total no, man. I know, I know. But it's because you actually were making coffee before. Yeah, she yeah, okay. Well, anyway, I don't even pretty drink this stuff. So, anyway, <laughs> I don't know what's going on and I'm sorry if that came out the wrong way. Anyway, so... Um, We'll be back in just a few minutes with Leon, with Jesse, some great blues music, and uh, and then Rick Levine, my guest. I you know I should get my act together here and tell you what's actually going on with the program. But uh, my guest tonight is um, Rick Levine. He'll be with us in 50 minutes. And he's a really interesting guy. I, I've mentioned him a little bit before, and I, w- I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to put it together tonight, but we were actually, and uh, obviously. And so, uh, if you're interested. Just get on the web, first of all, and go over to MikeHagan.com and scroll down a little bit. You can read a little bit about Rick. And uh, uh, for those of you who uh, want to get ahead of the crowd, he is uh, associated with Jay. That's how I ran into him, Jay Widener. Uh, uh, produced a documentary, uh, a DVD with, um, uh, with Rick. I don't know how, maybe, maybe just a couple, three years ago or whatever. Anyway, it's called Quantum Astrology. And I'm not one, you know, much, or I'm not, you know, the whole astrology thing, we all get sort of a bad taste in our mouth immediately. But let me tell you, Rick's got an interesting take on the whole thing, and um, he's a scientist primarily, uh, but he's sort of a heretic, of course. He's on this program, you get, you got to be a heretic, you know, and that's sort of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, tonight, okay, that's coming up in 50 minutes, Rick Levine, Quantum Astrology. If you're interested, get on the web. You can get a leg up on people. And uh, just go to MikeHagan.com. You can learn about me, and you can learn about Rick. And eventually, you'll be able to learn about Leon, because we're re- recording all this stuff. And um, 
we'll put some information about Leon up on the web, and, and we'll offer one of these songs up uh, as an MP3 download or something like that, and let people get to know uh, who he is. But anyway, okay. So, um, all right, I have to do my uh, my 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 gratitudes first of all. Debbie, wonderful stuff as always. Free Range Radio Theater from 10 o'clock until 11, an hour before this program. Uh, Debbie does it up every week, and she's great. And listen to that program if you get a chance, all right? Free Range Radio Theater. You can also check her out on the web at freerangeradiotheater.com, I think. All right, and also uh, Kelvin and Jason doing it up before that. Tech Radio, the guys, giving us advice about the machinery that uh, we use to help us do all the stuff that we're doing tonight. And... um, who else? Jeff Wheeler, my friend. Jeff doing Uncommon Light. Although I'm not even sure if he's in town. Uh, I think he may be touring right now with uh, the Troubadours of Divine Bliss, as it were, and uh, doing some traveling minstrelization, as uh, he should be doing. And all of us should be doing. More of it, at least. Anyway, so uh, that's what happens every Monday. And then Yvonne takes over after me at 2 p.m., 2 a.m. Not even sure at that point. All right. Okay, so uh, thanks to everyone who joined in last week. Wow, we had a great talk with Walter Cruttenden. Amazing information being uncovered and compiled by Walter and, uh, and his team, for sure. If you're interested, again, get on the web. Go to the website and go right to Walter's if you want. I mean, I'm not trying to get people to go to mine. Go to Walter's, loststarbook.com, or go to the Binary Research Institute. I mean, this is, this is where all the scientists are there talking about this stuff. Really interesting, and they'd be glad to uh, uh, to have you, um, you know, join the conversation. So, if you missed it, uh, Walter Cruttenden, the author of Lost Star of Myth and Time, and uh, he was on the program last week. He's been on the show before in November. Both of those programs are on the web, and they're archived. All you got to do is get to my website, and then you can figure out a way to get to the archives and uh, download or listen to any of these programs. It's really funny. We actually have all of the programs that I've ever done, except for one. (laughs) They're all up there on the web, and everybody can listen to them and download them, do whatever you like with them. All right? Okay, so uh, as I said tonight, uh, Rick Levine, we've got Leon playing some music for us. Uh, As I said with Rick, I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to put it together, but we did. And it's going to be great. He's uh, in Seattle, as a matter of fact. Another one of these Seattleites. And Jay's there. We know Kent Stedman is there. And uh, anyway, we'll see. Okay? We've got the forum that is up and running on the web. Chat room. Let me go peek over there at the chat room and see what's happening. Uh, Loom's over there. My friend Michael Pacheco. Merlin, the magician, of course. P.O. P.O.'s up and awake for once. I can't believe it. He's in Sweden. So it's... uh, so it's late or early there. Anyway, great to have everybody uh, in the chat room who's there. And if you're not there, you're square. All right, so check it out. we got emails coming in from people. That's awesome. We have people listening over the web. This week, uh, things seem to be working better than last. Uh, we, we, um, we're streaming live right now. We do it every Monday night. Uh, thanks to my friends at Cosmic Waves Radio by the way, CosmicWavesRadio.com. And last week we had some difficulty, but I think we've secured things this week, and we should have no problems. And uh, again, thanks to the guys and girls over there at CosmicWavesRadio.com. They make it happen live on the net. 
And thanks to Larry, my friend, my friend Larry, the web wizard, who helps uh, so much, but uh, maintains the we- uh, maintains the website, and uh, he's an absolute angel and a magician. Uh, so anyway, if you want to see what I'm talking about, just go to the website. It speaks for itself. MikeHagan.com. Check it out. All right. Uh, if you um, are a new user at the site, you'll have to register if you want to get access to the archives. And uh, it's really simple. I just need a valid email address. I'm not asking for anything else. Just a, a valid email address. You pick a username, pick a password, whatever. Then you have full access to the site. But I have to sort of know who's listening and where they're at, and that's, just trust me. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm not, um, uh, I won't share it with anyone. I'm not using it for nefarious or odious purposes, trust me, like some of our friends. All right? So, anyway, uh, Larry, great stuff. We're trying to build this mailing list. If you want to hear the archives, if you want access to all this stuff, just register. It's free, uh, and there are some free things involved. My friends Yachai, uh, Jeff and William, who are making great music. They've made their entire CD, Sweet Mother Mercy, available for download if you uh, register at the site. And it's great music, inspired by Don Augustine, a wonderful elder and shaman in the Peruvian highlands and uh, someone who carries a great tradition. And um, uh, these guys are making great music uh, that are inspi- uh, that has been inspired and uh, in some ways um, participated in by Don. Wonderful stuff. Anyway, uh, Yachai, Sweet Mother Mercy. You can get it if you register at the site. And also, um, uh, Larry's got a whole bunch of other goodies over there. All right? <clears throat> okay, so the email address, orbitradio at AOL.com, <clears throat> MikeHagan.com, H-A-G-A-N, is the website. And uh, MikeHagan.com, that is, of course. And let's uh, take a break here. We'll say hi to Leon. We got, uh, we got Jesse fumbling around over here. It's cool. No, don't sweat it. Um, put on a pair of... Are there headphones over there, Jesse? Yes, you got All right, put them on. Can you hear, can you, can you hear with them? Okay, cool. And grab that mic. And forget about whatever else you were doing. I don't know what it was. Anyway, grab that mic. You're on mic four. First, we say hello to Jesse. Hi. Hi. All right. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. And um, uh, Leon? Absolutely. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, first of all. Are you new in Columbia here? Because Well, no, I'm not new. I've been, I've been here about 10 years. Uh-huh. Uh, I've, I'm familiar with a lot of local folks here. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I'm um, the new guy, so if I'm... I've been here for a while. I've met quite a long, a lot of people along the way. Of course, we get a lot of uh, college students coming through. Uh, but you know, uh, it's good to be a finally after all these years to be a local. <laughs> well, you're making great music, and uh, uh, and I love I love to listen to you play. Thank you. Um, you're playing for the people who want to know the technical stuff. He's playing uh, a, a six string. Um, just basic, basic, basic six-string guitar. Basic six string. And uh, he's not amped right now. We just got a couple of mics set up, and um, my friend Laura just walked in, and she's welcome to come in the studio. She likes. She's she's um, a special person to me. Mm-hmm. Laura, hi. hi. <coughs> this is Leon. Laura. Hey, Laura. Nice to meet you. If you haven't met, and this is Jesse. Hello. This is my friend Laura, and she's here because she has good intuition. That's great. Um, 
so uh, anyway, Leon's playing a regular old guitar and playing it well. And um, we're going to let him play another one, and then we'll talk a little bit more to him and Jesse afterwards. And we'll find out more about what your, uh, what your plans are here, Leon, because you've got good stuff, and we need to... Let other people figure hear it. out what's going on here. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Sounds, I mean, sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> yeah, time to share uh, share the art if you know what I'm saying. Hey, that's okay. what it's all about. All right, so uh, let's do it here. Let me get these mics back where they need to be, and we'll say thank you to Jesse, the love of Jesse over there in the corner, and um, Leon. All right, do it up, man. Sounds good. It's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia. Get us on the web at kopn.org. And get me on the web every Monday night at CosmicWavesRadio.com. We're broadcasting live to the entire planet right now. And, um, of course, my website, MikeHagan.com. So, all right, Leon, take it over, brother. What are you, you going to play for us? I'm going to try to play you all a bunch of original songs. I, I like to copy some stuff once in a while, but uh-huh. since I'm on the radio, you might as well hear what I'm all about. Right? Uh, yeah, you do some special stuff for us. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. All right, it's Leon, and uh, it's Mike, and uh, a few other people, and we'll be back in just a few minutes.
All right. <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about, people. All right. This is amazing. Independent music and uh, tremendous stuff uh, from Leon Midget. And uh, all right, Leon, what's that called? What do you call that one? <laughs> better, or do you call it anyway? Better luck next time. Better luck next time. Yeah, we, right, we wrote that song about, see, these what kids. What do you mean we? Well, she helped me write part. Well, she gave me the idea for the song because there's she kid. meaning Jesse, Jesse, my girlfriend. All right, she gave me the idea for the song because uh, some kids kept riding past our uh, place down there and busting her uh, mailbox up. <laughs> but they couldn't knock it over. Yeah. So I was like, well, leave it like that and tell them better luck next time. <laughs> and that's what gave me the idea for the song. All right. Well. But, uh, yeah, lots of ideas come from our women, as it as it as it, yeah. tu- as it turns out. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, okay, good stuff, and um, we'll do another one in just a minute here, okay? All right, hang on, everybody. Uh, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, and it's about 25 after 11 on the 26th of June, 2006. <sighs> Where are we? I get lost in that music, you know. So, all right, I got to get my act back together here. Tonight, Rick Levine, as I said. Get on the web, find out who he is. It's awesome. Uh, Quantum astrology is his work that I'm familiar with. He's also a book writer and all that stuff, and we'll learn more about him as we get him on the air here. But anyway, next week I'm going to be out of town, and um, I'm going to let Casey do the show and sort of let him indulge himself, whatever that means. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, you never know. So, um, you know. And I don't know if we'll have the stream going. We'll probably have to shut that down uh, for the week uh, for technical reasons, really. Not 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 because uh, not because I have any any uh, worry that Casey might abuse his privilege <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, but anyway, Laura, quit it. Oh my God. All right. So anyway, next week, Casey, my friend. All right. And uh, he does a wonderful program as well, as I uh, was mentioning to Leon earlier, Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. until midnight, blues in the night. But he's sneaky. He he puts in this little bit in the middle that that he calls open mic radio. And that's when he has all these local musicians and indie people come in and show up and they play in the middle and they play from... um, you got me first, didn't you? Yeah, see, so he really is out there looking, and he works at the Fugue, so he sees everybody. You know, the Blue Fugue, if you haven't noticed, is a wonderful venue for live oh, music. Oh, absolutely. Right? And so there's a lot of... And and historically, it has gone by different names, you know, but uh, now it's being run by really good people, and uh, they're doing a good job, and they're bringing good artists in, and um, the Monday night scene is great, actually, because... Uh, you get to see Sam D'Agostino. Man. Sam's doing a great oh, job. Oh, he does it great. Man. No question. So sure. um, anyway, so I enjoy it too, and and that's how we came across Leon. Uh, Casey does his deal. He, that's how he comes across uh, some of the people that he uh, invites to be on his program on Wednesday nights, and uh, he's a very close friend of mine. And uh, anyway, he'll be doing the show next week, and uh, also taking care of my home. Which I appreciate. So, Casey, I love you, my friend. And um, he'll be taking care of things next week. All right, July 10th. Uh, back to business. I talked to this guy tonight. His name is Brian Trent. And, uh, you know, I get weird little emails and stuff. It's like birds. I remember my grandmother used to tell me, when I would ask her, how the hell did you find that out? And she'd say, a little bird told me. That's what my, my grandmother used to tell me this, right? So... As it turns out, I have little birds, too. And uh, they tell me things. And this one particular bird 
uh, <laughs> told me about this guy Brian Trent, who um, uh, has an, a website that's called RememberingHypatia.com, and he'll be on the program um, on July 10th, and we're going to remember Hypatia. It's a wonderful story of uh, feminine mythology that needs to be brought back and told. And uh, Brian Trent is doing a great job in this. Uh, uh, just um, uh, trust me. Okay, so that's coming up in a couple weeks. Brian Trent, Remembering Hypatia. It's H-Y-P-A-T-I-A for those of you who are, who are astute and want to go check it out beforehand. And I'll try to get a, I'll try to get a link up um, on the forum or something like that. Uh, beforehand, but anyway, that's coming up on the 10th of July. The 17th of July, we have uh, Elena Tanetti. Elena Tanetti, and um, I hope she's listening. But Elena, I got the video today, and I'll get it back in the mail to you ASAP. But um, she is the wonderful author and video producer of a uh, a program that's being titled that's called Birth as We Know It. But uh, it's about water birth and amazing stuff. Uh, being done by uh, Elena Tanetti. And she'll be on the program on the 17th of July. And we'll talk about her video production. And we'll talk about water birth and babies and uh, and how cool the whole thing is. All right? Uh, Mary Sparrow Dancer. Speaking of cool women, Mary Sparrow Dancer. Uh, I'm not sure when, but we'll have her with us, okay? Jay's going to be back on the air soon. Um, Daniel Pinchbeck. Uh, just a matter of tying on the date with him. He sent me three books, so I know he wants to be on the air. <laughs> it's just a matter of uh, uh, of getting it together with him. But he's really busy, and he's doing good work. So anyway, Daniel Pinchback, uh, Pinchback, be patient, and we'll get him on the air. Uh, be patient, we'll get Cat Harrison on the air. Uh, Dennis will be back, but he's going to uh, do his thing over the summer. We'll try to get back with Dennis in the fall. And uh, Christopher Dunn, uh, P.O., thanks to my friend P.O. out there in Sweden, who's listening, by the way, uh, live. Um, thanks for getting Chris Dunn's email address for me. I'll, uh, if it's legitimate, I don't know, but I sent him an email address. Uh, I sent him an email today. It's cool. And um, we'll find out um, if he's there or not. But anyway, I'd love to have Chris Dunn on the program. I just don't uh, know if he's doing that sort of thing these days, all right? Okay, so um, it's 1130 We've got Leon, so we want, we should take advantage of it, and um, we'll play some more music here. We'll come back and we'll do space weather. I'll tell you what's happening in the in the in the skies above your head. Uh, for those of you who care, and uh, for those of you who don't care, at least you'll you'll appreciate this music. Uh, it's Leon again, and uh, he's playing the blues, man. Well, it's something like that. Something <laughs> like something like the blues. Are you from Missouri? Uh, no, I'm from Virginia. Uh, I was born in Norfolk, Hampton, Newport News area. Don't drink, yeah. don't smoke, Norfolk, Norfolk. No, they don't. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, didn't say out. that on the air, did you? <laughs> Good thing you're out of there. You said that out loud, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm All right. glad to be in Missouri, finally. I, I, I mean, it's strange when you think of Missouri as a safe place. <laughs> you know, but anyway, there are safe places everywhere, it turns out. And uh, you're in one of them right now. It's KOPN Columbia. My name is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And uh, you're also listening to Leon Majette. And he's playing the blues. He's going to play another song for us. Do it up, Leon. 
All right. Well, this ain't exactly blues, but it's it's kind of inspired by it. You'll <laughs> like it. Trust right. me. Here you go. Like I hear it goes.
Let it ring out a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There you have it. Wonderful stuff. You got a name for that one, Leon? Yeah. Uh, love's kind of hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff. All right. Excellent, wonderful stuff. And um, it's Leon. He'll stick around and probably play at least one more for us. Maybe a couple more. Well, huh? let's do one more because, like I said, I've got, a, I've got an engagement. So. Okay. So let me do this. Um, let me take five or so you, I probably could use a cigarette okay you take a break and uh, and I'll be back with you All right. okay it's Mike you listen to Radio Orbit KOPN Columbia my guests in the studio Leon and uh, Jesse's with us and uh, my friend Lara sitting in the corner here being nice <laughs> and um, it's space weather time okay first of all uh, give it up for Kent Stedman, cyberspaceorbit.com. If you haven't been watching for the last month, I mean forever, but I mean in particular the last month has been amazing. And uh, Kent uh, silently uh, watches it all. And he's amazing. And he is the bard. And I love him and I thank him for his work. And you should too. Uh, so check it out at cyberspaceorbit.com. And then everything that I say over the next five minutes will basically be worthless because you can find it out for yourself. Okay? All right. Uh, there is an asteroid, a big one, that's going to fly by us um, in the early morning hours of Monday, July 3rd. Uh, it's designated 2004XP14. And it's going to fly past the Earth uh, barely further away. Uh, barely further away than the moon, which is about 260,000 miles, which in cosmic terms is just a whisker. I mean, it is a freaking whisker, all right? And it's big. This thing is uh, 600 meters wide. <laughs> all right, 600 meters, that's, um, uh, what, six soccer fields? Yeah. Right? They're playing soccer these days. They still do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so World Cup fans, look up. Six soccer fields big, and it's going to be passing over our heads um, in a week, in the early hours of July 3rd. And, um, you know, let's just hope it doesn't get caught in the gravity well, if you know what I mean. All right, uh, and don't look for it on MSNBC, Okay. Uh, solar punctuation. There's something happening on the sun that's really cool. There's like, the, like this big filament. And uh, like all things, it takes on a life of its own. And this one looks like a big exclamation point. So maybe that's a, <laughs> maybe that's a sign. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But um, if you're interested, get on the web. And uh, you can go over and look at all the images that the SOHO satellite... Um, well, I don't know if we can look at all the images. I mean, the odds are we can't. Um, but there are certain images that they allow us, the operators of the machinery allow us to look at. And uh, uh, even those are quite amazing sometimes. Uh, and right now there's some interesting stuff going on on our local star, as is usually the case. And uh, anyway, so maybe it's announcing the arrival of asteroid 2004 XP14 with its big exclamation point. And there's this guy who took a good photograph of it. If you want to see it, it's on the web at uh, spaceweather.com. All right? Okay, uh, what else? Um, the solar wind. There's a sort of a big coronal hole, actually, too, uh, on the front 
side of the sun that's facing the Earth right now, and uh, that usually results in um, solar winds that pick up and can cause magnetic field fluctuations on our planet. And so in the next few days, we'll have that uh, to uh, um, accompany us. Uh, accompany. You know, it's funny. Over the last three weeks, I've tried to say the word accompany I don't know how many times. And I'm about 50-50 for pulling it off. I mean, I say lots of words. I can say ethnopharmacology, no problem. You know, I can't say a company. Anyway, um, I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about now. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, a solar wind sometimes accompanies a coronal hole. See, I didn't lose my track after all. And they said potheads can't think. Right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so... Hey. No, you're just breaking in, though. All right, come on. Okay, so anyway, good stuff uh, happening in the solar system. Interesting. The big red spot, I've been talking about this uh, on Jupiter for the last few weeks, is about ready to bump into the little red spot. (laughs) And uh, nobody knows what that means, but um, there are people that are watching with interest. (laughs) Me too, actually. Nobody even knows what it is. I mean, the giant red spot of Jupiter. It's been... Well, who knows? Uh, or the beginning. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, there's always a beginning with the end. Um, at least in my world. So, I don't know. It's weird because this great red spot, they call it a storm. It's supposed to be a storm. But, I mean, that's, you know, that's just whistling past the graveyard. Nobody knows what the freak it really is. I mean, nobody's been there. At least none, 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 no people that I talk to. And so, anyway, it's this big thing. And it's swirling around. And who knows what it is. It's on a planet that's as alien as any. And um, we have little sensors that we send out there to snoop around a little bit. And um, then we act like we know exactly what's happening. (laughs) But um, anyway, regardless, there's also a little one. It's called the Little Red Spot. They're so creative with their naming. But um, uh, they're going to bump into one another. And uh, we'll see what happens. All right? So that's what's happening. What else? Um, Comet Clark is coming close to the Earth. That'll be happening on June 26th. That's actually today. Uh, about 0.6, astronomi- 0.6 astronomical units. Which, and, and, in layman's terms... An astronomical unit is the distance between the Earth and the Sun, okay. which is about no, plus or minus about 93 million miles. They so call that one astronomical unit. So that's pretty close. Well, I mean, in... in, in you know, in, in cosmic units. terms, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so this one is going to be 0.6... Uh, astronomical units away from the Earth. So that means it's going to be about, you know, 55 million miles away. Well, that's good news. I mean, yeah, it's a long <laughs> way. But, but, I mean, it's, it's one... It, people don't realize, in many cases, that these things are happening all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are comets and asteroids. and I mean, we live in a pinball machine, basically. <laughs> you know, I mean, and there are things flying around everywhere, and we, we are very fortunate... Um, you know, to have this space and this time. Yeah, St- uh, Stephen Hawking scares me with some of his theories. Well, you know, I mean, his theories are better than anybody else's. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, your theories are just as good. Yeah. Quite frankly, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, on a you smaller know, scale. Well, on a big scale, Leon. Right? I mean, what's bigger than music? Well, uh, huh? a comet, maybe. I bet you they're saying Huh? You know, if you actually listen to a comet... It probably has a weird frequency. It probably has perfect pitch. 
You know what? Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I don't want to debate it with you. I want to hear some more music. How about a shooting star? All right, we're going to play one more song, and then uh, and then at the top, okay, I'm going to make you stick around to midnight. That was our commitment. All right, midnight All right. it is. So uh, we'll play one more now from Leon, and then we'll have another one to finish the top of the hour off, and then you guys can say goodbye, and I'll say hello to my guest, Rick Levine, who's actually listening uh, online and now over the telephone, and uh, we're going to have a wonderful conversation with Rick tonight. He's the author of many things, uh, but uh, I was introduced to him by my friend Jay Widener. And together they produce this documentary that's called Quantum Astrology. And it's a very interesting um, thing. And uh, so we're going to talk with Rick about it in just a little while here, okay? All right, what else is going on? Oh, gosh, I have lots of things to talk about, but we won't. All right, uh, just look up, people. Look up. Simple as that. Uh, and, uh, and listen to good music like this. It's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 15 minutes. We have Rick Levine. And um, right now we got Leon. All right, folks, I'm going to break it on down home for you. There you have it, Leon Jet, and uh, good stuff, Leon. Thank you very much, my friend. And uh, you can hear more from Leon. Trust me, he's going to be playing uh, out and about in Colombia. What's uh, what you got a plan, my friend? Well, actually, yeah, I sure do. Uh, the 28th, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's a confirmed date. Richard King's got me signed up to open up for the uh, fabulous Thunderbirds over at the Blue. Wow, Hill. that's a big deal. 
Kind of. It I is mean, to you me. Know, uh, That's at the uh, Hoonout, right? Yeah. Uh, that should be a good show. Good um, for you. I didn't realize that. Well, hey. Uh, yeah, people out there. When, when is it? The 28th? I think it's 28th of August. Of so August. It's, it's cause plenty of time plenty between time now and then. Yeah, sure. All right, and, we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll promote the show and stuff for you. Sure. If you'd great. like, um, maybe, we'll, uh, maybe we'll try it between now and then. We'll see uh, if you can come back and maybe do a whole program and spend three hours with us and sure. play a, a company. See, there you go. A company. Yeah. A company. Uh, um, I'm just trying to say it over and over again because <laughs> I have difficulty with that <laughs> word. But anyway, and accompany me and my guests, whatever, through a whole, through an entire program. Well, that sounds great. I wish I had more time this evening. You know. No, it's cool. It's a great, great introduction and sure. uh, a great way to, to say hello and to, to let people get a, a load of your music for sure. Well, uh, you know, I I also I'm a tattoo artist during the day. Uh huh. That's right. So yeah, yeah I tattoo people during the day and I play music at night. That's kind of what I devoted my life to, but I love to. There's no other immediate gratification other than playing a good song than putting a good tattoo on somebody. Mm. It takes a certain amount of trust for somebody to walk in the front door of a tattoo shop and say, Hey, I want this on me permanently. Isn't that the truth? And, 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 and when they trust you out, to do and, it. And right, when they walk out with a smile, that's the best feeling. That's better than any song out there. Right. And so. I, I, as a tattoo wearer, I, <laughs> I, I, I totally get it. And I, I mean, I, I only have two, and they're not very extravagant, but, but I still get it, you know. And uh, I appreciate your art, sure, uh, both your, your, uh, your tattoo art and your, uh, and your musical art. So. Thank you very much. Yeah, he's doing great stuff. His name is Leon, and um, we'll get him on the air here again in the future. And uh, Casey, I'm sure, will have him on the air sometime soon. Uh, let's see, what else we got to talk about here? We've got 10 minutes, and we'll have Rick Levine. Let me get on the web and see what else is going on. In the chat room, anybody got anything to say before we, um, uh, before we get to Rick here? Let's just say hi. I'm so excited that the, the, the stream is working well tonight since we had trouble last week. And... Um, I have uh, good friends hanging out in the chat room. So, hello, everybody. And uh, we got Rick on the line. Let me cruise down and see what the news... Uh, what Larry, Larry, my friend, uh, who does the website for me, uh, every Monday he puts up a bunch of interesting stories uh, on, the, uh, on the website in the news. So, I'll just uh, sort of randomly grab some here, and I'll comment on them if they deserve it, or, or I think they do. Anyway... Scientists plan to recreate Big Bang to uncover the universe's mysteries. Oh, my God. These guys are so full of themselves. This is a great one. I love it. I can just talk about this for a few minutes. I think it's the only one that I'll talk about, for the, and then we'll just bring Rick on. I mean, it's absolutely hysterical. It's like, it reminds me of like two, uh, you know, two termites talking to one another, talking about they're going to d- discover the... Universe's mysteries and uncover them all. This is this one just unfortunately is going to require funding, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's the latest uh, it's the latest racketeering to get a whole bunch of billions to to talk about who knows what. But uh, the Big Bang, right? For those of you out there, there's a thing that's called a singularity. This is the this is the word that scientists use for it. They call it a singularity. You hear it all the time, and. Uh, it basically means that uh, once you pass that barrier, all known, everything rules, everything, uh, everything, nothing applies anymore. And there's no reason for it. No theory predicts it. Uh, uh, it's about the most improbable thing 
that could ever happen. Um, something like the Big Bang. In other words, if you can believe the Big Bang, the fact that everything, <laughs> the entire universe, sprang from nothing in a moment. I mean, for no reason. <laughs> I mean, well, then you can believe anything. So anyway, this is they're, now they're going to try to redo this somehow, whatever the hell that means. But um, anyway, it's very funny to me. But it's also dangerous. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, when they mess around with atom smashers and particle colliders and, uh, you know, all particle accelerators and all this thing. And they even say, well, you know, there's, there's not a zero probability that we might create a black hole. <laughs> yeah, they say that, that, that because uh, particles, <laughs> these particle accelerators, for some reason, they're colliding things, quarks and neutrons and little things, right. and who knows what they're creating. Nobody even, and the it's uncharted don't, no. territory. Right, so they, you know? but, they, but they've, you know, that's, Western science is always shoot first and ask questions later. Well, you know what, we might shoot ourselves in the butt. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of, that's sort of where we are, as a matter of fact, I think. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's a matter of uh, time to grow up. You know, we're not we're not just throwing sticks and stones anymore. No. And, and things are getting really serious. And, and it's like, you know, the an, you know, lots of analogies, but the 10-year-old with the shotgun is a pretty good one, you know. Yeah. Uh, as a culture, as a race, as a species, not just Americans. You know, I'm not picking on anybody, but we need to grow up really quickly what as, as individuals I, and as and, and as a, a culture and as a nation and as a as a species around the planet because i mean the, the options are not good ones they're you know uh, beige painted fascism uh you know or annihilation what would and you, so what you would know, you like to be when you grow up well i want to be an artist and uh you know whatever art means to me or to you Whatever makes you sing, whatever you know, follow yeah. your bliss. My one yeah. of my one of my great teachers and mentors, his name was name was Joseph Campbell, and he could be uh, remembered for many things. But uh, you know, we all sort of get you know tags associated with us or whatever, and um, one of his tags was follow your bliss, even with an albatross around your neck. Follow your bliss, baby. <laughs> and and uh, well, we all have our albatrosses. You know, we all have our struggles. We all have our challenges. That's the way life is. If everything was rosy, you'd have nothing to write about, Leon. <laughs> okay, um, right? That's why Jesse's over here, <laughs> right? How um, true it is. It's true, uh, and we recognize that and and make art and do our thing and um, try to treat people, you know, in a kind way. I think. But uh, anyway, uh, it's great stuff, and your music is great. And, Thank you, man. And. Um, the world's an interesting place, and the scientists, whether they like it or not, are not going to uncover all the mysteries. Uh, the world is made of mysteries, and every time they uncover one, another one pops up. And uh, it's good because they can continue to get funding, I guess. <laughs> but uh, uh, other than that, it's really, uh, it's really sort of silliness, and um, uh, it's fun just to be a part of it and to participate and uh, to watch the whole uh, play take place and to, and, and, to, and to take your part in it, whatever you choose to be in that play. Maybe, maybe the answer is the question itself. Sure. I mean, the trip is, the, is not the destination, all that stuff, <laughs> right? And uh, anyway, so it's great stuff. So we got four minutes till the top of the hour, if you would. Sure. Pick it I'll up. Just one more. And yeah, I'll, finish this off and, and yeah, do whatever sure you thing. like, and then um, 
uh, we'll say hello to Rick Levine in just a few minutes, and uh, and we'll shift gears a little bit. All right. Okay, it's Mike, and uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit. My friend Leon is uh, playing some music for us for this first hour. Sure, appreciate you having me. Hey, it's great uh, awesome. that, that you uh, that we ran into one another. I'm yeah. Glad. All right, man. All right, so do it up, and uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes with um, Rick Levine. And on the web, one more time, MikeHagan.com, KOPN.org. And if you want to listen to the live stream tonight or any Monday, except next Monday because Casey's going to be on the air, um, uh, it's uh, CosmicWavesRadio.com. All right, Leon, please. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, here we go.
All right, go make some. Enjoy it. All right, uh, my friend Leon Majet, one more time. Uh, great stuff, and we'll hear more from Leon in the future here. And Jesse, thank you. All right, um, so uh, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, and you're listening to it. And uh, we'll play a quick little promotion here that I'm so excited to get from my friends at Yachai. And then we'll get uh, right to business here with uh, with Rick Levine. And uh, it's going to be a fun conversation tonight, okay? All right, let's see. How do I do this? Uh, that, 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 and that. This is Jeff of the musical group Yachai. You have entered into a world of myth and magic, of light and dark, a realm where the hero's quest for the multi-faceted gem of eternal truth is ever-present. Welcome to Radio Orbit with Mike Higgins. Alright, that's right. Welcome to Radio Orbit with Mike Hagan. That's me. Alright, and uh, thank you, Jeff and William. Great stuff, and I appreciate it. And if I didn't uh, say it, but I did, uh, Sweet Mother Mercy, a wonderful piece of music that has been put together by the guys of Yachai, is available for free. If you'd like to download it, all you have to do is zip on over to MikeHagan.com on the internet, and uh, you can download it if you register at my site, and it's real simple. I just need an email address, and um, that's all. Valid email address, and then you can you can download that that CD, the whole thing of uh, Sweet Mother Mercy, great stuff. Okay, okay. Uh, let's see. Rick Levine. All right, he's an amazing guy, and he has a great ability to bridge um, the gap, or the gaps maybe, between things like astrology and spirituality, science and religion, the head, the heart all the things that we sort of 
talk about a lot on this program. And uh, he does horoscopes that are read by many, many people. And uh, his work is represented on lots of different websites. Anyway, he's the uh, co-founder of a website called StarIQ, S-T-A-R-I-Q.com. And uh, he's also um, a founding trustee of Kepler College in Seattle, where he lives, or outside of Seattle. So anyway, Rick uh, uh, has been a consulting um, astrologer and uh, done many, many things uh, for many years. And he's going to share some of them with us tonight. And uh, without further ado, Rick Levine, thanks so much for being uh, on Radio Orbit tonight. Welcome. Well, what a pleasure it is to be here. <laughs> nice to have you. Yeah, it's uh, funny. Well, I haven't been had yet, so let's, <laughs> not, let's not jump any guns here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's funny how the world works and how these circles, the whole theme of tonight, and of course the show is orbit, but these circles, you know, and um, uh, Jay has been a wonderful addition to my circle, and I love him, and he's doing great work. And uh, he introduced me to you and sent me uh, one of your videos uh, a few months ago or whatever, which I really enjoyed. And um, <clears throat> anyway, here we are. So uh, it's great to have you. And uh, I haven't had you yet, but I'll say it again. And I'm sorry. In- incidentally, uh, that video uh, in- entitled Quantum Astrology. Quantum Astrology. And yeah. the subtitle is Science, Spirit, and Our Place in the Cycles of History. Uh-huh. That DVD over this weekend won an award um, from... The um, International New Age Show, which is every year in Denver, and uh, they awarded it the Best New Age DVD of the Year. Wow, and you know, I spent 15 years in Denver, and I know that that's a huge show there, Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's a big deal. And and don't be, uh, for those out there, you know, don't, don't be taken in just by the whole New Age thing. It's not... You know, it, it doesn't need to be pigeonholed with those two words because sometimes those are, um, you know, they, they turn people off a little bit, Rick. But uh, there's more. There's, there's more to this than just New Age hocus pocus. Uh, that that is true. All right. So anyway, congratulations, though. It's a great thing, and I know it's a big uh, event that a lot of people pay attention to. So. All right. So uh, anyway. Um, it was amazing this this video and, and and I'm not one that really was taken by astrology you know because I I sort of bought into the the typical mythology it's just you know silliness and uh the cultural the way that it's really delivered in the culture primarily is you know through the little papers where you get a you get, you get a little paragraph and it's supposed to you know somehow define everyone they all fall into these particular 12 categories or whatever but um it turns out that there's quite a bit more to it than that and uh we'll we'll talk about a bunch of it i guess tonight mm-hmm. yeah actually um i think astrology more so than any 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 discipline or any study out there has a huge uh pr problem <laughs> no doubt and, and and that is that when when I meet someone who says, I don't believe in astrology, my response is, I don't believe in it either. Um, because chances are that the astrology that you don't believe in, uh-huh. I don't believe in either. I agree. And, um, and so it turns out that people's perceptions of astrology are largely formed by the media from two bodies of very influential thought. One is the church and the other is science. 
And I don't think there's anything else other than astrology where the church and science, who don't always agree with each other, agree thoroughly. Yeah, they can agree and that, that is that astrology is a wart on the history of mankind. You know, and it needs to be taken out. I'll take it off. Well, uh, we're going to talk about it. And it's really, if it's a wart, it's a beautiful one. And, um, and for those of you who have not been to the Vatican, you should walk in the front door. Because the first thing you'll see is, you know, this be- it's beautiful work of art, uh, but it is, a, it is the globe of the earth. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it is set under the constellations. Is, uh, Mike, the, I, I was the in the Vatican three weeks ago. Yeah, okay, so you know yeah. exactly what I'm yeah, talking I, about. I certainly I mean, do. I mean, they, they herald it uh, when you walk in their door because they know. Uh, well, the, you, they know, you know the real that deal. Every, they just won't share it with you. But every, they, every pope. Until about about 1500, until the beginning of the 16th century, pretty much every pope either was an astrologer mm-hmm. or had a staff of them. Right. And most of the astrological techniques that we modern astrologers use today were developed by priests and monks, and these techniques are named after them, Porphyry, Placidus, Regiumontanus, um, Campanus, these are all names mm-hmm. of, of monks, mm-hmm. because the church was the holder of the uh, secret traditions of astrology until it became relatively um, inconvenient politically. There you go. All right. So, um, ah, all right. So, uh, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so a little bit of background on you. How did you uh, figure that all out? And tell us a little bit about Rick Levine and where you came from, uh, how you got on this path, and... Uh, an interesting one it is. So let us know a little bit about about you well, before we go further. Well, yeah, it, it, you know, I I grew up in a typical um, 50s, 60s uh, household, and I was encouraged to uh, do well academically, and I was very very good in school. But I was always interested, and, and particularly good at science and math. But I also was very good in English, and so. Um, you know, early on, I had the science math side and the um, music, you know, the, the you know the music poetry expression side, and and yet I was always drawn to reading about things that either other people didn't know about or things that were kind of ruled um, marginal or impossible. I mean, as a uh, junior high schooler and high schooler. I was reading voraciously science fiction and books about UFOs and ghosts and mm-hmm. you know paranormal and and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And in that mix were things like numerology and palmistry and hypnosis and astrology. And astrology seemed interesting, but it was just a parlor game. Right. And somewhere um, off in my college years, I. Uh, switched majors very quickly, like many of us did in the late 60s, from science and math into psychology, because that was what was more interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, and in psychology, I read my way through Freud and Jung, and Jung, as you may know, oh, um, wrote it. some uh, material, a lot of his material came from his delving into alchemical and astrological studies from the medieval period. Right, and I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of his work, and I, and I don't claim to be a professional on, uh, uh, or an expert on, on much of it, but, uh, but there's one in particular, that, and it's sort of an obscure one of his, but I love it. It's called, it was in 1958, it was called um, uh, 
Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing book. Mm-hmm. And, again, don't be uh, put off by the title. It is something else. No, it's a, <laughs> yeah, that, that book um, was um, one, of, one of his last books. Wow. And uh, very fascinating stuff. And, of course, the whole idea of, you know, psychic phenomena or, mm-hmm. you know. And, but, but anyhow, it was really through Jung that um, someone gave me a book in my college years by a man named Dane Rudyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the name of this book was The Astrology of Personality. Mm-hmm. And what it was was a reinterpretation of astrology in light of um, uh, uh, astrological concepts in terms of contemporary psychology and philosophy, in particular um, that of Carl Jung. Okay. And it turns out that even Jung, you know, when, what we call Jungian psychology, Jung called the psychology of four types, or analytical psychology. Exactly. And the four types were thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuitive, intuiting, you know, and these are now kind of like part of the whole Myers-Briggs testing scenario. Anyhow, it turns out that, that thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuiting, uh, Jung got from the Greek concepts of elemental um, divisions, fire, earth, air, water. Mm. And so at that point in time, I began to realize that astrology wasn't just a way of describing someone by when they were born, although it certainly is that also, it was a very profound and very deep and richly ingrained um, study that turns out to have informed most of the developments of science and art and philosophy um, from the uh, Hellenistic, from the pre-Hellenistic Greek period of time um, all the way up through the last few hundred years. And most people, of course, don't realize that at all. Amazing. So anyhow, so so I you know graduated with a BA in psychology, and instead of going on to uh, become an analytical or Jungian psychologist, which was what my college uh, dream was, I got totally sidetracked uh, by astrology. And the deeper I dug, the more fascinating it got. And today, 40 years later, I mean that was in the late 60s, you know, close to 40 years later. I'm just as fascinated and just as enamored and just as amazed at the richness of this study, which doesn't seem and, and which doesn't seem to have an end. And even though many people would consider me a quote unquote master astrologer, <laughs> I feel like every day I learn more. Very interesting. Yeah, that's sort of the trick, I guess. You know, uh, as soon as you think you got it all figured out, that's sort of the day you become an idiot. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, actually. Um, <laughs> Uh, Arthur C. Clarke in, uh, wrote, you know, Clarke's Laws, I think the most famous of uh, any, any sufficiently advanced technology is perceived as magic, which is um, Clarke's third law. But Clarke's first law was that um, no scientist is, does anything important once he reaches old age, and he goes to define old age in physics and mathematics as over 30. <laughs> So you know it's yeah. that's pretty damn funny. Oh my gosh! So right. you know, so ultimately, <laughs> I I I am a scientist, and I uh, I'm very fascinated with um, our view of the world and hmm. with and with how our perception of the world limits the choices that we make as we move 
through our own lives. Isn't it the truth? I mean, we're we're much more. Um, at least it seems to me, we're 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 much more uh, held back by cultural issues than we are by physical laws. Or oh yeah, like and, and in, in fact, there, there was a book written in the. Mm, I think in the late 60s, called the theory, A Theory of Personality by a guy named George Kelly. Mm-hmm. And he basically said that in therapy, the goal of a um, psych- psychological therapy was to change someone's perception of the world so that they could change the options that they had. All right. And of course, you know, we look at what our perception of the world was, and just 400 years ago, or four or 500 years ago, we uh, believed that the earth was the center of it all and did not move and was absolutely stationary. And some still and, do. And <laughs> not very many. Um, but, but, but along comes Copernicus and uh, people like Galileo and Johannes Kepler and Isaac Newton, and it kind of pulled the rug out from under our sense of being um, the creation of God and in the center of it all, to being, you know, in a universe that is vast, empty, everything moves, and we're just a speck in this incredibly vast, you know, uh, sea of, of emptiness. Right. And so our whole perception of what the universe is like actually has a large impact not only on our science and on our philosophy, but also how we live our lives. Right, because it turns out that the universe isn't empty, right? I mean, in other words, there are all of us and all of these bodies flying around, and, and everything's affecting everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, amazing. So, um, uh, one, of, one of the things that has um, been a long-term interest for me is the relationship between science and astrology and how it becomes relatively inconvenient for science to have to deal with astrology Hmm. as it's relatively inconvenient for the church to have to deal with astrology. I find it fascinating that people recite the Lord's Prayer and say it's done on earth as it is in heaven, but then again astrology is baloney because that can't possibly be true. But all we astrologers are saying is that it's done on earth as it is in heaven, and in fact, many of the ancient traditions um, considered the realm above the earth as the divine, mm-hmm. and that here on earth as you know as the fallen. And so, it, it, for me, astrology becomes a way of looking into the divine order. It becomes a way of seeing the patterns that establish the geometry of how we think and how we live our lives. And it turns out, not only do individuals um, correspond with the moment in which they were born, but also it turns out that as history develops, civilization itself um, conforms to these very, very complex and slow-moving rhythms. And, And you don't know it until you look at it. And once you look at it and see it, it's like, oh, my God, how can how could I possibly miss this? Wow. Okay. So, um, all right. So, at one at what point you mentioned that it, that it becomes a political necessity or or, or a, a necessity f- for Western science to do business, I guess, 
that this stuff has to be uh, marginalized. So when did that happen? And then let's talk a little bit about why uh, it had to happen. Well, yeah, it's... You know, if you go back to um, the 17th century, the, the 16th, 17th century, mm-hmm. um, science was, um, there really wasn't anything particularly called science. It was really called natural philosophy. And you look at someone like Johannes Kepler. Yeah, who was who, just absolutely brilliant. I mean. Well, and we consider today, scientists consider that Johannes Kepler was the father of modern astronomy mm-hmm. because he figured out the laws of planetary motion. Right, However, right. Kepler was a counts. total mystic. I mean, he was very he was deeply religious, but he was also and very deeply disturbed <laughs> by the commercialization of astrology. We're talking in the late 1500s, early 1600s, <laughs> and he hated the fact that astrology was used by the emperors to figure out when they should go to war. Which and is still, which it was still used, is, by the way. And, and, that's right, and it was used by the royalty to figure out when they were going to get laid. <laughs> can I say that on air? Sure, sure. Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, if you can, I don't know. Um, um, you know, God, I mean, it's, it's not as bad as what I've said recently, trust me. So, um, so the point is that <laughs> even back then, Mike, um, someone who was, who was very a brilliant astrologer, mm-hmm. like Johannes Kepler, was disturbed and annoyed with the fact right. that 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 it was being used for you know for for what he considered uh, totally um, sort of uh, irrelevant purposes. Right, I'm with you. Hey, um, let me ask you sort of a uh, a related question, but I'm not sure if it makes sense or not. But uh, this idea of getting laid uh, it, does astrology also affect conception? In other words, is that as important a time when when you know when conception actually actually occurs? Yeah, it it turns out that it probably would be valid to study any particular event. Event, right? And yet, birth is an event where so much happens, hmm. and it's an event that we can time. It's very probable. My my belief or my my sense of this is that. Um, uh, is that astrology um, doesn't disregard genetics. It, in fact, um, proves it. In other words, there's something that happens um, at conception, and that moment is certainly significant. Mm-hmm. But as that baby develops, you know, it, 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 literally as a, as a complex, organic, animated crystal in a in a supersaturated uh, fluid, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just like you'd grow a copper sulfate crystal, right. you know, it, by, by, you know, dissolving the copper sulfate into water and then putting in a seed and then watching the thing grow according to its form, we grow as a complex crystal with proteins that are in a supersaturated amniotic fluid. And, and yet there's something about how we pattern the proteins in our body and it's very probable that the baby as it approaches um, uh, birth it's almost like a a a surfer uh, on the surfboard waiting for the right wave (laughs) and that baby is probably getting all kinds of signals from the planets from the you know from the movement of these very very ultra low frequency um, events, these planets that are tracing out, you were talking earlier in the show, 
tonight about the music, the asteroids making, you know, making mm. music. Sure. Well, make no mistake about it. The planets actually are creating hums. It's just that we can't hear it with our ear. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a tremendous amount of noise this much generated. I mean, people... Uh, you know, when you're swimming in water, you know, I, was it Marshall McLuhan said, uh, I don't know, I don't know who it was that discovered water, but I'm certain it wasn't a fish. That's right. Yeah, right? Marshall, I mean, and Marshall McLuhan <laughs> said that environments are always invisible, right. therefore the fish cannot know the water. Right. So we're in the middle of the water and we don't realize we're, we're, we're hauling butt through space and uh, on this planet and it's making a tremendous amount of noise, I'm sure. So here we have this, 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 this uh, baby. Um, Kind of surfing in this in this sensitized um, sack, right. and it's almost like the moment of birth. If it's not interfered with by you know pitocin or mm-hmm. you know some sort of pharmaceutical drugs or or a cesarean, um, this baby is like waiting for the right wave. Right. And, and so right. there's something about the moment of birth that ties to the predisposition of the shape of their crystals based upon the moment of conception, based upon whatever each parent has given through their own, you know, DNA genes, etc. Amazing, Rick, because, you know, even, you know, the metaphor of the wave is a good one because the rhythm of a woman's body, you know, of her muscles as they push the baby mm-hmm. is, is a wave. I mean, it... it I mean, it moves like a wave. Oh yeah, and you, you know, know the whole the whole endocrine chemical dance that creates labor in right. a woman's body is started by the baby. Mm-hmm. The fetus creates the first release that then is met by a release of um, endocrines in the mother from the mother that's that right. are then matched. But it's the baby that starts the process. Right, it's a two way street, and and uh, and all these things go go uh, go both ways, and it's fascinating, and I love I I love it. Uh, we um, anyway. Go on, please. Actually, I tell you what, um, it's 26 after. Let's take a little breather here, okay? Okay. And uh, we'll be back with Rick Levine, and we'll talk more and more about this stuff. We've got him for uh, another hour and a half. He'll spend uh, with us until, and, and by the way, thanks, Rick. It's, uh, what time is it, 1030 in uh, Seattle? Yeah, it's barely dark here. Yeah. All right, so we got you on the, you know, I, I don't have to apologize when you're on the West Coast. On the East Coast, sometimes I do. So, anyway, okay, it's Rick and uh, and Mike, and we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. In the meantime, we will listen to some music. Uh, we had, trying to decide what to play. Uh, we had Leon earlier. Great stuff, by the way, and uh, we'll have more from Leon in the future, and we'll get some of his stuff up uh, up on the website at MikeHagan.com. Uh, in the meantime, let's play this one. This is my like uh, my like favorite uh, new band. They're called Ism, and uh, they're from New York. It turns out a couple of my favorite new bands are from New York. Uh, Lizzie West and the White Buffalo, who um, are great people, and who were at my house actually on on uh, on Saturday night. Lara was there as well. We had a great time. We had a little gathering at the at the place and um, banged on drums and. Uh, played guitars and sang and howled at the moon and shot off fireworks and, and inaugurated a beautiful and wonderful uh, uh, fire circle that that, uh, that I built with the help of my friend Casey and my brother, Johnny, uh, both of whom I love. And uh, so anyway, we, we had a wonderful night, and for those of you who were there, I appreciate it, and uh, for those of you who missed it, well, we'll do it again. All right, but uh, anyway, uh, let's see. I, I don't know how the, where the hell I got into that story, but um, this is ism, 
And uh, the song is called Out of the Way. And uh, I tell you what, with guys like Rick Levine uh, running around, you better get out of the way uh, or just uh, jump on board because um, it's great stuff and uh, it's all for you. All right? Out of the Way-ism, this is Mike Hagan. You listen to Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Rick Levine.
that. There you have it. That's ISM. And you can find out information about uh, that wonderful band uh, on the website at MikeHagan.com. And uh, you can also uh, find many other good things on the web. For example, KOPN.org. The radio station, 89.5 FM, situated here at 915 East Broadway in lovely downtown Columbia, Missouri. Uh, If it were not for KOPN and the wonderful people here that make it possible and the people out there that make it possible, um, I'd have to find other means. But I would find them. (laughs) But it wouldn't be as uh, pleasant as it is working with the people uh, around here. I love this place, and I thank everybody that makes it possible. All right, so... um, Speaking of that, uh, Twilight Festival, every Thursday night in June and in uh, September as well. But in June, if you come down here as you're walking around downtown, uh, come on down by the station at 915 East Broadway. And uh, a lot of people don't even know we're here because we really don't have a storefront because we're upstairs. And there's a wonderful restaurant just across the hall from us called Formosa. Uh, a Chinese restaurant, and uh, but if you look up in between Ninth and Tenth Street, look up at the windows, and you'll see KOPN up in the windows up there. And um, you're welcome to come up to the station. We'll show you around. You can see uh, how we do things up here, and uh, we also have a little drum circle that's going on sort of every week on Thursday nights. And you're welcome to join us there and uh, um, beat on a drum for a little while. It's fun. And we've been doing it for the last three weeks and really having a fun time with it. And we get to meet people and talk to people, and, uh, you know, it's cool. And the whole Twilight Festival thing is fun. So come on out and come see us uh, down at KOPN 915 East Broadway. And uh, I'll probably be there and lots of other people, and we'll all say hi. All right, so uh, speaking of saying hi, let's say hi again to Rick Levine. And, Rick, give us your website one more time, would you? Well, um, the website that I am uh, co-founder and uh, part owner of is StarIQ, S-T-A-R-I-Q.com, Think Intelligent Astrology. However, it's really the people at Tarot.com, T-A-R-O-T, Tarot.com, that make it all possible. They distribute my daily column. I now have, I don't know, somewhere around six to eight million readers of my daily column, it's the it's the uh, daily horoscope column on AOL and uh, Netscape and um, BeliefNet, and it just went live on MySpace, which is you know is a huge site. <laughs> right. uh, Google just picked it up, and so you know that. So, but it's the people at Tarot.com that really make it happen, and it's a Tarot.com is a really great site because it has not only. Um, astrology, good astrology that comes from Jeff Jower, who's my writing partner and partner at Star IQ, and I. But also, um, it, they have uh, really well done simulations and uh, um, presentations of tarot, of numerology, of I Ching, various forms of divination, and it's a very well done site. All right, I'm actually, if you hear me typing in the background, I just. Uh I'm telling Larry, my, my, my webmaster, to put, we'll put a link up for uh, Tarot.com as soon as he uh, shows up. But Okay, so, um, so we've got a few. You, you have a, a tremendous amount of things going on, right? Well, and on to- yes, and on top <laughs> of that, um, Jeff and I also um, write an annual book for 
Barnes and Noble. Right, and the 2006 one, I think, is out. And, the 2006 uh, one has been out since last November. Actually, the 2007 one is already up on Amazon.com, and uh, it will be shipping in September, but the book is already written and in production now. Okay. All right, well, I, ha I have a lot of questions, but um, I think maybe... I Can we talk a little bit about quantum mechanics? And, oh, yeah. And quantum physics, because this is a big... Uh, th th I mean, this was the real thing that really struck me uh, about your work that separated it from most of the astrology uh, work that I had read in the past, even the serious stuff. Uh, th this really sort of brought it home to me, because... Uh, as much as I recognize the fractal nature of the universe, it's sometimes you have to be beat on the head with it, you know. And um, so maybe let's talk a little bit about that, all right? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, quantum physics uh, really is a whole series of theoretical constructs that came about as in the late 1800s and early 1900s, just about 100 years ago or so, um, we, scientists began poking around inside the atom. Mm -hmm. You know, until then we did not have um, um, technology that allowed allowed us to see things that were very, very tiny. And as um, these scientists began to uh, theorize and look at what was going on inside the atom, they were confronted by a number of um, oh, how shall we say it? Impossibility, <laughs> and um, and it and it was became very apparent that the laws of physics, which were very well known. I mean, we're talking Newton's laws of gravity, and you know, and and and, and Kepler's laws of planetary motion, right, right. and um, and even Maxwell's equations about how light propagates and how wave form. I mean, th this stuff was very well known. And then you get inside the atom, and the damn little buggers just wouldn't conform to the rules. <laughs> and so you had people um, like Heisenberg, um, who literally was wandering around the parks at two, three in the morning in despair, saying, "Can you know? Can the universe be this chaotic? You know, does it really all not work? I mean, according to what science thought." <laughs> And um, and one of the breakthrough thinkers, well, actually there were several in the early 20th century. Um, one, of course, was Albert Einstein, who wrote three papers which shook modern physics and pulled the rug out from underneath. See, physics was the hardest of all hardcore sciences. Right. And in 1906, um, uh, 1905, 1906, when Einstein wrote and, those and, papers. And literally the hardest. I mean, it's, that, that's the metaphor. It's physical. It's the stuff you can do right. on with a and, hand. And, Basically, in that, that year, physics went soft. <laughs> and you see, what, what happened was that... Oh, I love it, Rick. What happened was that things that we call things... I mean, so, um, physics is about things. Mm -hmm. and, and what we began to realize was that, um, that things were simply light, tied up and trapped in, tied up in knots, literally, and trapped in some sort of gravitational force field, and so that what we considered th to things to be solid was really light, and that um, and that the amount of energy that was contained in the transformation 
between light and mass, of course, is what's become atomic power and the atom bomb and so on and so on. But the, the other great breakthrough thinker, and there were several during, you know, during these, you know, uh, the, the early part of the 20th century, right. was a man named Niels Bohr. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, usually credited with coming up with the concept of quantum physics, which basically says there's a lot more going on than meets the eye, but unless there's uh, enough energy that reaches a critical mass, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And it's an all-or-nothing kind of a thing at certain at certain jumps. And, um, and as... as Niels Bohr began to develop these theories of, of quantum physics or quantum theory, um, he was known to say things like, quantum physics, and this is a direct quote, quantum physics is not stranger than you think. It's stranger than you can think. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, it, it was just impossible to understand the, the, the craziness and, and, of course, from the same period of time, we have Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, right, which really is not about sloppy thinking. It's not about being uncertain and not knowing. Let's what, Heisenberg, what Heisenberg said, or what he proved mathematically, was that, well, let me just back up a second. You see, you know, we talk about things like electrons and protons and neutrons, these subatomic particles. Right. You know, no one's ever seen an electron. Really? No, we no one's ever seen an electron. What we see are, and I'm not making this up, clouds of electron possibilities. Right, so it's just probability and that, 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 that just exists, and then you have to observe it somehow and That's put right. energy you into see, it. The problem is that when, that when you observe it, for a moment, at the moment of observation, these clouds of probability coalesce and it looks like something's in one place but it's not necessarily there it's just more probable that it's there just for the moment that you happen to put energy into it or whatever the moment that you happen to look at it mm-hmm. so so what happens is <laughs> what, what happens is this light travels as a wave light waves right but for the moment that we measure it for just that one moment it's being looked at it becomes a particle and as soon as we look away it becomes a wave again <laughs> Now, as, as crazy as that sounds, right, right. so this is called the particle wave duality. Mm-hmm. And what Heisenberg said was that at any given moment, the more we know about the wave, the less we know about the particle. The more we know about the particle, the less we know about the wave. In other words, if you know where an electron is, you have no idea of where it's going. <laughs> if you know where an electron is going, you really have no idea of where it is. I see. So... Well, it sounds like my life. <laughs> well, you know, in some ways, it's all of our life. And you see, I and I guess we're all just a bunch of dancing electrons anyway, so that makes perfect sense. Well, yes, and I, I, I've taken this this microcosmic quantum metaphor, which of course has reached now, you know, the public through uh, oh, books like you know. Um, the Tao of Physics by Fritz Kapra back in the uh, early 70s, mm-hmm. or books by um, by my friend Fred Allen Wolf. I don't know if you've ever had Fred on your show. No, but, but I a, know his work. Yeah. So so um, and 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 Doctor Fred Allen Wolf actually read m- most of my early work as I was thinking and kind of working this stuff out, and he was kind of like. Um, uh, my physics professor, who wouldn't let me get away with sloppy thinking. <laughs> Good for him. Um, but, you see, 
my my theory is that as we have these weird particle wave space time um, um, paradoxes at the microcosmic level, we also encounter them again at the macrocosmic level. Again, this as above, so below. In other words, in, in the mesocosm, you know, like where we are, if you park your car and come out three hours later, the, the car is going to, you know, there's a good chance, unless it's towed, that it's going to be there. But if you put an electron someplace and come back three hours later, it's, it may not even be in the same ballpark because, because these subatomic particles jump. They, they instantaneously, you know, pop in and out. So in, um, including electrons that might be part of the car. Well, and that's right. And, of course, the, I mean, one of the great paradoxes is that if you have a car parked and left it there for an infinite amount of time, theoretically all the electrons could jump in the same direction at once and it would jump and disappear. Eventually, yeah. Um, and, and, in fact, I remember as a uh, youngster reading a book by the physicist George Gamow called 123 Infinity, in which he described what a Google was. Hmm. Now, of course, today Google is a verb. You know, everyone Googles. But <laughs> a Google is technically a one followed by 100 zeros. Really? It's a mathematical term? It's a mathematical term that was used in set theory to describe a number that was large but not infinite. Amazing. And a Googleplex, and I'm not making this up, Right, right. right. a Googleplex is a Google to the Google power. <laughs> so it's, a, it, it's one with 100 zeros after it to, to the one to the 100 zeroth power. Wow. And it was said that if you left an object on the table for a Googleplex number of years, eventually all the atoms would jump in the same direction and the damn thing would, you know, you know, would move. <laughs> but, of course, in the mesocosm, the middle cosm, mm -hmm. uh, and the word cosm is a great word, you know, it's, it's a Greek word, and the Greeks had words that meant two things often. And the word cosm meant both order and beauty. So to the Greeks, the cosmos were inherently beautiful, and they had order to them. Right. I think, I think and it's so. also the root of our word cosmetic, which has become something totally different, because we think of cosmetic as, yes, creating beauty, but it's just surface. Right. You know? Right. Right. Um, so, so coming back to this idea of we live in the mesocosm, the middle cosm, where, where things follow Newton's laws of cause and effect, push-pull, you know, karma, you know, every action has an opposite and equal reaction. All of those kinds of things allow us to to deal with objects and with things in this quote-unquote real world. But at the microcosm, where things get very, very, very tiny, you know, in order to see something, what has to happen is that a photon, a light wave, has to, a particle wave, has to hit the tiny object and then come back to our eyes. That's the way we see things. Right, right. But if the object is so tiny, the photon is so huge that it knocks it off course, so what we see isn't what we're seeing. Just by seeing it, it's, it, it, this is the, the quantum um, uh, idea that we are not separate from the external reality. Our presence in it creates its own impact. Right, right, because there's no way that you can 
you cannot have an impact right. on, Fre- on the Fred experiment. Wolf, that's right. Fred, Fred Wolf says that it's kind of like being um, uh, a human and invited into a little elf's house in the woods. Huh. And the house like is so that. tiny that when you go in it, everything seems chaotic and you're busting out walls. And it's because it, it's be, it's, you're very present. You, you can never know what it's like inside of an elf house right. because your very presence there changes it. So at the microcosm, there are all these weird things. At the mesocosm, our normal everyday life, things seem pretty, you know, cause and effect. But at the macrocosm, the planetary level, again, we run into this particle wave duality. Here's a question for you, Mike. Hmm. Are planets particles or waves? I guess it depends if you're looking at them. Well, they're both. When, we, when you look at them, we say, there's the moon. It's a, it's a, part, a big particle, a right. real big particle, right. but a particle nonetheless. But it certainly moves, and it's, a, and, and it, and it, and and it's a wave that creates a frequency vibration, right. just, like, ju- just, just like a particular note is a hum. Mm-hmm. A below middle C is um, 440 cycles per second, or when we see the color green, that's a, um, it's, a, it's, it's a hum of a particular frequency, and that wavelength is, you know, 6,000 or so angstrom units long. It's a particular frequency. Right. When we listen to the radio, you know, we're getting a particular frequency, 89.5 megahertz. Those are million cycles per second. Mm-hmm. So at the frequency of 85 and and a half million cycles per second. Is that the frequency of your station? Yes, 89.5, yeah. So so at 85 and a half million cycles per second... Or 89 and a half, sorry. 89 and and a half million cycles per second. If I have a tuner that's resonating to that, then I can pick up that hum out of the air. But those are cycles, those are are waves. Mm -hmm. And you see, planets are waves. The moon is 13 cycles per year. Saturn is three cycles per century. Pluto is four cycles per millennium. They're very slow-moving waves, but they're still, I believe, at the very low end of the electromagnetic spectrum, but we don't perceive them that way. We look at them and we see that they're rocks in space. They're big particles. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of opening statement to this whole idea of quantum astrology, where time and space as Einstein showed, are, are intertwined. Right. The faster you go, the slower time gets. Right. And uh, l- let me ask you something and add something uh, at, sure. the sa- at the same time. Um, we, we were talking earlier about uh, how it's sort of necessary for, for science to do its business to sort of ignore this or, or, yes, de- or, or, or deny it. And I'm reminded of this... Um, and I've talked about it a little bit on the air before, but there's a concept in science that's absolutely critical that's called uh, uh, the return to initial conditions. And uh, it basically means the, 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 the time independency of experiments. It means that, that you can do an experiment on Tuesday morning and, and expect the same result if you do it on a Thursday afternoon. Absolutely. You, you, you've hit the big one right smack on the head. And this is... This, this, this is an entire discussion unto itself, but that, that is exactly the problem that science has with astrology, because if time is not, uh, if time becomes another variable, mm-hmm. then what happens to the, um, the, the return to initial conditions, which is really the basic concept 
behind what scientists call the need for repeatability. Right. And so, you see, <laughs> my, my <laughs> view, I'm, I'm laughing at myself before I tell the joke, which I know is not good on radio, but, you know, it keeps people wondering. Okay, so my, 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 my concept is that science is a neurosis. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. You see, a, a neurosis is something that is based upon an untruth. And so we do some behavior over and over and over again, like hand washing or, or some, some, some repetitive behavior, in the hopes that in doing it, somehow something will change. And, and so a neurotic kind of is stuck in these behavior loops. And what science is, it's stuck in this idea of repeatability. And so in order for something to be true, you have to keep doing it. <laughs> you know, re repeat it. Repeat it again. Right. Do it again. Right. Do it and again. If it doesn't work one time, whoops, then something's wrong. Well, and throw that one out. Throw that one away, right? Well, that's one way of dealing with it. And, of course, science has a very interesting history of how it has at times thrown away inconvenient data mm -hmm. or falsified data in order to make something that sounded like it was plausible be experimentally valid. Mm -hmm. But you see, the problem is that once you introduce astrology, you say that no two moments are the same. Nope. Are you there? Did we... Yes, I'm there. I, and, and whoever else is listening, hello. So, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, so what, what happens in astrology, astrology basically says that, that, that time is a quality just like temperature. Right, another variable. Just like, you know, and, and, and it turns out, and here's a really fascinating story. There was a chemist named Lily Kalisko, hmm. who was a student of Rudolf Steiner's. Oh, I love, I love Rudolf Steiner. All right, so this is yeah. a great story because you can, you can go on the web and do a, and do, you know, and Google Lily Kalisko. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna give people a few minutes to do that, okay? And uh, we'll play a piece of music, Rick, okay? That's fine with me. Let's do that. And we'll come back and we'll talk about Callisto. 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 Rudolf Steiner. And Rudolf Steiner. Yeah, uh, Steiner's one of my favorites, and I think that his, uh, his contribution has been a tremendous one, and he will be remembered. Uh, well, uh, but wait till you hear what Lily proved as far as time as a variable in the formation of crystals. Awesome. All right, we'll come back and we will talk more about this stuff. I love it. It's Rick Levine, and uh, his website, one more time, is, uh, well, there's a bunch of them, but uh, tarot.com, T-A-R-O-T. Okay, T-A-R-O-T.com. Also, stariq.com, and uh, you can find him as well at mikehagan.com now. So, all right, Rick, we'll be back in just a minute, okay? Okay. Okay, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, uh, just a little before... 1 o'clock in the a.m. on the 27th, I guess, of, um, of June. And let's see, what should we play here? Here's some local music from uh, a band called Rutherford. And uh, this one's for Laura because she loves uh, the music. And it is great music. And, um, and, and Ruthie is a talented young lady. And uh, Jeff is uh, helping her out, doing great things. And they're making good music. So anyway, this one is called The Breeze. And uh, it's one of my favorite songs uh, that they do. And you can find them out and about uh, in Columbia. And I don't know exactly... What's that? They got anything going on? Wednesday night at the Shoes. This coming Wednesday? Yep. 
Oh, okay. So uh, that's the 28th. Oh, that's going to be a great show because there's another band called Ruse, uh, the Ruse, um, that's there on the 28th. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go see that show actually. Okay. So anyway, uh, this is the Breeze. The band is called Rutherford. It's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Rick Levine, and we'll talk more about quantum astrology and uh, who knows what else. Okay. All right. Back in just a minute. Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit. We rush around to shops and stores We spend our nights behind closed doors With arms around our first class horse And we all want something more So we cut ourselves with words
She's got a wonderful voice, and uh, if you see her perform live, uh, she gets a look in her eye, too. So, uh, anyway, um, great stuff from Ruth and Rutherford, or Rutherford. <laughs> so, anyway, okay, that was called The Breeze. If you're interested in the music that you're hearing on the program, you can get it on the web. Go to MikeHagan.com, click on the music archives, and you can find information about uh, the great majority of music that's being played on the show. And uh, you can also find information about the guests that are on the program. Uh, for example, Rick Levine. And we'll also have this program uh, up on the web for download and for podcast and all that stuff as soon as it sort of finishes up here. And we're streaming live right now, thanks to the wonderful people at CosmicWavesRadio.com. You can find out more about them on the web, obviously. And... Uh, Lots going on. There's a bunch of great people in the, in the chat room right now, and uh, we'll bring them into the conversation maybe a little bit later. But let's say hello again to uh, Rick Levine. Hey, Rick. Hey, hey. All right. So uh, let's pick up where we left off. We're talking about this Callisco uh, 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 and, um, and Rudolf Steiner. Now, I know Callisco did some work at Cambridge. Uh, no, actually, actually, Nick Collarstrom who is an astrologer, um, uh, an associate of mine, someone I've known for about 12, 13 years, uh-huh. and right. Nick, who got a Ph.D. Um, in um, history of science, um, took Lily Kalisko's work, which I'll explain in just a moment, uh-huh. and he redid those experiments okay. and validated that what Kalisko wrote about actually was a real, you know, what really happened. Okay. Okay. So that that makes sense because some some you know there's some smart people here on the web and in in the uh, in the chat room and I'll let you pick it up uh, after this. But he says 
Uh, yeah, Nick Collistrom. Uh, yeah, that was me. That's me in the chat room. Oh, okay, you're Merlin. I'm the smart person in the chat room. Uh -huh. I'm like, someone's brilliant here. I'm like... Uh, 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 yeah, I've been posting the links there as we've been going along. Aha, uh -huh. so the magician is in the house. All right. It's true. And right. Merlin is my middle name. I love it. All right, so great. Anyway, all right, so continue, please. All right, so... Um, so in the, um, I guess probably in the 1920s, um, Lily Kalisko um, did a bunch of experiments that are based upon a, an ancient concept. And this ancient concept, the ancients believed, and I say the ancients here, I'm really talking about the uh, Babylonians, the Greeks, you know, the Persians, the Romans, etc. Okay, but still historical. Uh... <laughs> yes, yes, still, still historical. These ancients believed that there were seven primary metals. The seven primary metals were, and still are, gold, silver, mercury, iron, um, oh, gold, silver, Mercury, copper, iron, lead, uh, tin, and lead. And the ancients believed that these metals, each of these seven metals, were directly related to what were considered the seven planets. Now, when I use the word planets, I'm including the sun and the moon. It's just, I mean, I, I know they're not in the modern sense. Right, right. But back then, they were considered the same thing? They were, oh, they all, they were all things up there that moved. Okay, uh, okay. Planets were, were wanderers. All right, things that sense. moved in the sky. Right, right. So, um, so the relationship is this. Gold is related to the sun. Silver is related to the moon. Mercury to Mercury. Copper is related to Venus. Iron is related to Mars. Tin to Jupiter and lead to Saturn. Now, these correspondences go back as far as we can see in history, as far as there is history. And, 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 and I'm certain that they're not uh, uh, arbitrary. Well, here's, here's the amazing thing about it. Okay, let's just take a few of these as examples. And again, this could be a two-hour discussion unto itself. But, for example, gold is considered to be the metal planet, the, the metal of the sun. And to the ancients... Gold on Earth didn't have properties similar to the sun. The ancients believed that gold, every piece of gold was a piece of the sun. This is the one-to-one -one that they had. Now, it turns out that astrologically, the sun is related to the sign of Leo, and Leo is the sign that's connected with our heart. It turns out that there's more gold in the human heart than there is in any other organ of the body. You know, gold in very minute quantities is needed for a healthy life. And in fact, in homeopathy, gold is considered to be a heart remedy. So there's some connection here between gold and the heart. Right, and, and um, you know, I know that uh, even as a medicinal, even in, even in straight medicine, I know people get gold shots and this yes. sort of thing. And, and I'm a huge fan of colloidal silver, as a matter of fact. Uh, um, as as a personal sort of health, uh, um, what's the word? But an, uh, you know something mm -hmm. that that, mm -hmm. that I use as a preventative, you know, to to help me with my my own personal health care. So well, silver is related to the moon, and you know we think of like things like a mirror is no big deal, but mirrors were considered to be magic at one point in time because very few people had them, 
and you had the way you got a mirror was you painted silver behind glass. Uh-huh. Glass wasn't easily, you know, wasn't a was a rare commodity itself. Right. And and so there's something about the moon that reflects the light of the sun. Silver reflects light. In fact, all photography until digital cameras required the use of silver in the chemical silver bromide in order to make film that captured the light. That's right. And so you can take these correspondences all the way through, you know, and even how did the ancients correspond iron with Mars? You know, Mars is red because iron oxide is the predominant, you know, uh, um, uh, chemical on the surface of Mars. It's oxid- It's rust, which is iron. Uh, uh, lead yeah. is Saturn. And Saturn rules or is connected to the teeth and the bones. And it turns out that lead, although we often hear about lead poisoning in its negative form, lead is required because it gives the bones elasticity. Right. But lead goes to the bones. And somehow the ancients knew all this. Anyhow, so along comes Lily Kalisco. Um, and what she did was, you know, there's a way, you can take each of these seven primary metals and you can turn them into salts, um, which by combining them with, um, nitrogen or sulfur, and mm-hmm. so you get iron or, or chlorine, you get iron chloride or copper sulfate. Right, 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 so these, right. these are all metal salts. Okay, okay. Alright, you can take a salt and dissolve it in water. And then you can put a piece of filter paper in that water which will soak the water up the filter paper. You take the filter paper out of the water, the filter paper dries, and depending upon the metal salt in the water, the, the drying liquid creates a crystalline pattern that's a particular color and can be quickly used to identify what salt it was that was dried on that filter paper. Okay. Are you with me? Yep, 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 sure. So, for example, copper sulfate is like this bluish greenish color people may know what copper sulfate looks like it's you know it, it's sometimes used in chemicals for you know for antiseptics and swimming pools and mm-hmm. small amounts mm-hmm. okay so so you take copper sulfate and you dissolve it in water and you put the filter paper in there you take the filter paper out and when it dries it creates this striking blue green crystalline pattern that you look at and you go yep copper sulfate now, it should do that all the time. Apparently. But copper is the, ele- or is, the, is the metal that's related to the planet Venus. And there's a whole story there that we won't do right now. Okay. <laughs> it turns out that every month, or month, because the mm-hmm. a month mm-hmm. is the amount of time that it takes the moon to go around the Earth right. once, once a moon, or once a moon cycle, the moon lines up from Earth's point of view with each and every planet in the sky. You know, we could talk about calendars sometime, too. Oh, yeah. You know. All right. <laughs> but let's just stick to this one right now for okay. a moment. Okay. So, so once a month, the moon lines up with Venus. Mm-hmm. Because Venus is, from Earth's point of view, it looks like Venus is going around in the plane of the ecliptic, which is where the planets seem to travel, and the moon is moving around, and once a month the moon catches up with Venus, and for a few hours it actually is lined up with Venus, and then it doesn't do it again until the following month. Right. Well, it turns out that for a period of about four hours around the alignment, 
every month with the moon and Venus. The copper sulfate, when it dries, just stays a muddy gray and it doesn't form crystals. Mm. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> and it turns out that lead sulfate does it when the moon lines up with Saturn. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't form crystals. And it turns out that iron chloride doesn't do it when the when 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 Mars when, Mars when the moon lines up it. with Mars, et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera. So oh, there's wow. something about the movement of the planets on a very down to earth grounded physical crystalline chemical level that has some impact. And again, this was um, duplicated. These experiments were done and photographed um, rigorously um, during these processes. Um, you know, during these planetary alignments or conjunctions is what an astrologer would call the alignment of, of two planets. And, um, uh, and, and so here we have a real problem when it comes to uh, what we call about, what I called earlier was the neurosis or the mm-hmm. need for being able to repeat that science has. Right. And you see, there, there are other things that, that, uh, um, that scientists know. I mean, for example... Um, it, it's apparent that surface tension is greater at certain times of the year. Surface tension is what allows you to take a needle and float it on water. On water, right. Okay. Right. But it turns out that surface tension um, gets less in the spring. Hmm. And it turns out that... Um, in the old days, when when all of the uh, big buildings were heated with huge boiler units, right. it turns out that boilers typically flaked and needed total cleaning in the spring, because the surface tension of the material that was on the inside of the boiler would kind of peel and become more mixed with the water. Hmm. Uh, blood, uh, blood chemistry. There's a, um, a Takata, I think, is the guy's name who developed a, um, a test that's the amount of time it takes the blood to, you know, form, you know, to kind of precipitate out into two, you know, into two different materials, um, like, like um, you know, like if you have oil and water and you shake it and then you wait, the oil and the water separate. Right. And it turns out that, that this separation factor varies based upon, you know, the new moon, full moon. Um, most doctors will acknowledge that people tend to bleed more during surgery around a full moon mm. than they do at a, at a new moon. <laughs> so there are real physical counterparts that we can look at that seem to indicate that there are uh, that there that there are impa- that there is impact from these planetary cycles well. that then may be precedent or create other um, you know other patterns perhaps in our thinking in our biology in our emotional makeup, etc. Okay, well, well, I mean, to me, the biggie is this Lily Kalisco's work and then, and then being confirmed and repeat, repeated, right? They want repeatability, okay? So this guy Nick Collarstrom then comes along and totally documents and repeats it. Yeah, and of course the problem is... I mean, this that is a huge monkey wrench for the, for the whole game. Oh yeah, but see, there there are other monkey wrenches, right. and and science has just you know conveniently right. you know built complex theories like quantum theory around you know things that don't work the way they think they're supposed to. Right, again, and of course, so. the real problem is that astrology, you know, uh, 
says that the you know the time factor is important. Incidentally, I want to mention another um, another book that your listeners may enjoy. Um, um, and th- this guy would be a, um, uh, a, a great interview also. His name is Rick Tarnas, T-A-R-N-A-S. And his book, his new book, which is about three months now, um, out about three months, is called um, Cosmos and Psyche. Hmm. And Rick Tarnas wrote a book called The Passion of the Western Mind, which has sold over 100,000 copies. It's used as a textbook on college, you know, courses on uh, history of science and intellectual history of the West, etc. Wow. And he's a real academic. And this book, Cosmos and Psyche, um, unfolds uh, a very detailed relationship between the slow-moving rhythm of the outer planets and large cycles of history, which is, incidentally, at least in part, uh, the subject of my quantum astrology DVD that you mentioned at the very beginning of the show. Right, and we'll mention it again because uh, it's it, it's an it's an amazing thing, and and uh, it really struck me when I saw it, and and I know uh, that Jay doesn't do uh, crummy work, uh, so I I loved it when I watched it, and uh, it's great stuff. And if you're interested in that, you can just go to my website as well at mikehagan.com. You can link over to. Rick's site, and I think we also have a website. Um, I think we also have a link up to uh, uh, to Jay's. Yeah, and that's Jay Widener of Sacred Mysteries. Right, sacredmysteries.com yeah. com for those who are unfamiliar, Jay Widener. And he's got another wonderful thing coming out. I'm not sure, were you a part of the, the Odyssey 2012 uh, project? I, yeah, I, I understand that I'm in it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I... I I, I think he he mentioned to me yeah that you were and um, anyway uh, we'll have to do that a little bit later in the program maybe get your take on uh, on on sort of the big picture and and, and where things are going but uh, for now let's talk a little bit more about this guy Rick Tarnas and 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 what this is all about well uh, this stuff that I'm going to talk about now is not it's not unique to Rick Rick's just like probably the um, the most um, uh, astute scholar. Okay, and uh, he's, and he's delivering the message well, apparently. And um, uh, and again, this is at least you know, in my DVD, the last part and our place in the cycles of history, science, spirit, and our place in the cycles of history. Mm-hmm. This is really what I'm talking about. See, normally we think of astrology as you know what makes Mike Mike, what makes Rick Rick. Mm. You know, you look at a chart of an individual, and yes. You can uh, 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 an accomplished, trained astrologer can look at a chart and see someone's communication strengths, weaknesses, parental issues, relationship issues. I mean, all this stuff is available in the data of looking at someone, uh, looking at the configuration of the planets: Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto mm-hmm. at the time of someone's birth. There really is uh, validity to this. And if you've never had your chart done by a professional astrologer, um, I would recommend it as a learning and growth experience for yourself because it's something if you go to a good astrologer, of which there are many, um, you'd never forget that experience. But but I'm now talking not about the impact of the movement of the planets on an individual. I'm talking about the slower-moving rhythm of planets. Let me give you an example. Um, we were talking earlier about um, 
about Einstein and, you know, the whole quantum physics revolution in the early 20th century. Well, um, it takes the planet Uranus 84 years to make one complete cycle around the sun. Okay. It takes the planet Neptune 165 years to make one complete journey around the sun. Oh, so just about twice as long. Just about twice as long. And what that means is that two Uranus cycles, which is about 164 years, because 84 and about 168 years. Mm-hmm. 84 and 84 is 168. So in the time that Uranus goes around twice, Neptune has gone around once. But then, from Earth's point of view, it takes another few years for Uranus to catch up to Neptune. So from Earth's point of view, Uranus and Neptune line up, from Earth's point of view, once every 171 years. Hmm. This is a basic clockwork mechanism, like a pendulum, that from Earth's point of view, every 171 years, um, Uranus and Neptune line up, just like once a month the sun and the moon line up, and we call that a new moon. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, never mind, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's just stay with this Uranus-Neptune. Right. So it turns out that astrologically, each planet has a symbolic meaning, and Uranus is connected with electricity. It's sudden movement, it's, it's erratic, it's like a spark of awareness is how the planet Uranus works in the, in, the, in the symbolic realms. So Uranus is like electricity. If you ask any person who studies or studied astrology, what's the planet that relates to electricity, they, without even thinking, they say, oh, that would be Uranus. Hmm. Okay? Right. If you asked an astrologer what was the planet that related to magnetism, they would say Neptune. You see, Neptune was the god or goddess of the oceans, and, and in the ocean, it's more about pull. It's about, it's about a field of energy, kind of like the tides, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have that like lightning suddenness. Are you with me? Yes. It's more, it's, it's more kind of mysterious, and there's a lure, it, hmm. there's a pull to it. So Uranus is electricity. Neptune is magnetism. Here's where it gets weird. In 1821, Uranus and Neptune aligned. Um, They aligned from Earth's point of view. And in the early 1800s, this was the heyday of electrical discovery. You had Hertz and Faraday and, you know, you you had these guys kind of trying to figure out what electricity is and using it and, and... you know, remember, it was only like 20 or 30 years prior to that, you had Benjamin Franklin flying a kite and going, oh my God, lightning is electricity. Right, right. So, in 1821, actually I think it was in 1821-22, um, a Danish scientist lecturing to a university group of students, uh, and he was lecturing about electricity, in front of a group of students, took a closed circuit with a wire tied to a voltmeter. And he showed that there was no current in it. And then they put a battery or a source of electricity, and then he showed that electricity was flowing through the wires. This is no big deal to us, you know, in this day and age, but this was like kind of like magic. Like magic, magic. right, like Arthur Clarke talked about. That's right. 
So then he takes the battery out again, and and the big one of the big developments of that time was people were trying to figure out what was the relationship between electricity and magnetism. Mm-hmm. And so Hans Christian Orsted had this circuit with the voltmeter registering no electricity, and he takes a bar magnet in his hand, and he runs it over the wire, just like back and forth in his hand. And as he's moving this bar magnet back and forth over the wire, he notices the voltmeter going crazy, like there's electrical current there. Right. And, and it's like, okay, electricity, magnetism, electricity, magnetism, electromagnetism. Hmm. Electricity, Uranus, magnetism, Neptune. Right. The year that, that, yeah, that the planet that? of yeah. electricity and the planet of magnetism lined up, Hans Christian Orsted discovered that electricity and magnetism were one and the same, they were related, and he coined the word electromagnetism. Now, you can't make it up this good. Right. Amazing. And now, Faraday he, was able to, able to reverse it in 1821, too, right? Uh, it was right around that same period of time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Now, in, in, interestingly enough, halfway through their cycle was 1905, and Uranus and Neptune were at their opposite, like a full moon. You know, Earth was in between, and Uranus and Neptune were halfway apart, and that was the year that Einstein figured out that you know that elect you know that that, that um, uh, energy was related to both you know mass and light, okay, and, and what, that time was tied to space. What year was that? 1905, 1906. And that's the halfway point. That was the halfway point. So when was the next? 1993. What happened? The World Wide Web. Oh my God. Cold fusion. Huh. Uh, That's still denied, even though even though it's it's getting more and more uh, it's getting harder and harder for these guys to keep it down, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All kinds of things happened in 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 the um, late '80s, early '90s, tied to this Uranus-Neptune conjunction. Right. But 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 the biggest thing that happened was that all of a sudden this electrical communication network Hmm. flipped out, and the globe was encased with a with a self-maintaining communication system that anyone could be part of, yeah, uh, the, uh, like the Internet. A, yeah, and it's, it, it's, it's a nervous system of sorts, you know? It is. It, it, you, you quoted uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan earlier. Mm-hmm. In Marshall McLuhan's terminology, oh, man. we flipped out. He saw it. We flipped out, you see, because our nervous system used to be inside each and every individual body. But with the electronic and digital media... All of a sudden, our nervous system is like an exoskeleton. It's like an exonervous system. It's mm-hmm. out there, and we're like little cells running around inside of a much larger brain. That's right. And Marshall McLuhan saw it. And, he uh, did. And in, in, in the 50s and 60s, you know, people, the big deal with McLuhan was nobody could even figure out what the hell he was talking about, you know. And uh, uh, But now, in hindsight, uh, even he, I think, would be surprised at the, at the rapidity of what's happened. But uh, yeah. I agree. You know, uh, but um, like the Mechanical Bride, I think, was his first... Uh, mechanical w- Bride and then the Gutenberg Galaxy. Yeah. Now, here's, here's another fascinating thing, Mike, and that is that in four, uh, 1455, 1455 was the year that the printing press was invented. Mm-hmm. Gutenberg printed the Bible. There you go. And in 1455, there was an alignment of Uranus and Pluto. Wow. In 1479... There was an alignment of Uranus and Neptune, the one that I was talking about that happened in 1821 and in uh, 1993. 
And the alignment in 1479 corresponded with the, with the Florentine-Italian Renaissance, with the publishing of Plato in Latin, and the publishing of what's called the Corpus Hermetica, mm -hmm. this material that was smuggled out of Constantinople, now in Istanbul, and, um, and the Medici's financed the translating of it. And with the printing press, the church lost control as this, as this material was read all throughout Europe because the printing press dispersed it in a way that prior to that, the church had control because the only books that were written were written by monks. Right. And, and it was manuscripts, you know. That's right. Uh, now, before that. Now, hey, Rick, 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 hold on. Give me, give me one second here. Yeah. What... Um, and you're probably gonna you're probably gonna go here. Maybe I'll get ahead of you. But is is there a relationship between the uh, the time about when the printing press was um, developed or discovered or invented, and is there a resonance with the time that the web was? Yeah, this is exactly where I'm going. Okay. You're good. Okay. Good. So good, good. 1455, Uranus lines up with Pluto. The printing press was invented. Gutenberg thought there was only one book ever worth printing, but by the time Uranus lined up with Neptune 30 years later or so in 1479, all this incredible stuff was being, <laughs> this magical stuff was being printed. Right, I love it. All right, now, we already talked about 1993 was the Uranus-Neptune conjunction, mm -hmm. um, you know, that corresponded with the Internet just all of a sudden taking over. It right. had been around, but that was the, you know, early 90s was when it happened. Right, it really right. just exploded, yeah. The other alignment, the Gutenberg Press, 1455, was Uranus lining up with Pluto. Mm -hmm. Uranus lined up with Pluto in 1965. Mm. Uh, think about the 60s. Wow. Uranus lined up with Pluto in 1465, mm -hmm. just like it did in, uh, I mean, in 1965, just like it did in 1455, the Italian Renaissance the renaissance of the 60s. Hmm. However, in, four, in, in 1965, that was also the year that IBM introduced the System 36, which was like the Gutenberg press, but it was a digital printing press. Right. It was the first mass-produced computer that was used by business, and IBM thought they would only sell them to big businesses because like Gutenberg thought that his printing huh. press would only print the book Bible. of God, the Bible. <laughs> IBM thought that their digital computer printing press would only print the Church of Capitalism. Mm. And however, by 1993 at the Uranus-Neptune conjunction, it, it basically uh, uh, the, the nation-state capitalism ideology lost control, and you had all of a sudden the World Wide Web where, where no one was in charge. Yeah, and the cat like the, was out like the, the south, church, man. Like the church lost control in the 1479 period of time, which then resulted in the Reformation, Martin Luther a century later, um, or in the next century, in the 1500s. Mm -hmm. By the same token, now we are at the edge of this transition because the... The cat is, like you said, the cat is out of the bag. And it's the same information. It's the magical, mystical, suppressed traditions that, you know, that came through in Plato and the Corpus Hermetica, the hidden secret traditions right. that are now coming out again and they can't be contained again. Amazing. Well, Rick, okay, uh, I was going to take a break, but I think let's just pass on it if, you, if, you, if you're cool with that. I'm let's, good. All right, let's just keep talking. And, um, 
Uh, well, tell us uh, what tell us what you see. Uh, well, okay. Uh, most people will agree that the that one of the most important recent events was the bombing of the World Trade Tower, September eleventh, wow. two thousand. Yes, and and if if I if I could add something really quickly, and, and it's relevant. Uh, I was married eleven days after the eleventh of September in two thousand one. Really, and and my. And I was in, I was, and then I went to Hende, by the way. <laughs> uh, and and my my anniversary is September 22nd, and my first son was born on September 23rd, uh, the equinox three years ago, and and my wife is pregnant, and and our baby is due on September 11th of this year. Hmm. So anyway, uh, I got this whole theme going on, and uh, uh, that was certainly a big. Uh, event, at least in my uh, in in my life, and it it it, it was really wild uh, for me because we were planning. You know, we we got married eleven days afterwards, and it totally threw a huge wrench into everything that we had planned. And everyone, you know, nobody wanted to fly and blah blah blah. Yeah, and all, yeah, but, yeah. but you know what? We it it was actually a wonderful deal. We ended up going to Europe afterwards, and I was in Hindi just a few days after that. But um, and somebody actually asked about the cross here uh, at Hindi on the. Um, on the, in the chat room, uh, and maybe we'll get there a little bit later. But anyway, please uh, continue. Uh, September 11th, certainly so, a big day. So in the, in the fall of 2001, we, we, we've been talking earlier about this 171-year cycle Which is the of Uranus and Neptune. Right. All right. Now, um, I want to talk about Saturn, which takes... 30 years, 29 and a half years, but let's just round it off to 30 just for sake of convenience. Let's say Saturn takes 30 years to go around the sun once. Pluto is the slowest moving planet. It takes 245 years. Okay. So every time Saturn goes around once in 30 years, then it takes a few years to catch up to Pluto, which has moved a bit further. So it turns out from Earth's point of view, Saturn lines up with Pluto about every 33 years. Now, Pluto is a weird planet because sometimes it's moving much faster and sometimes slower, but just just as an average, let's say that Pluto or or Saturn lines up with Pluto every 33 years. Okay. Um, Which means that on the halfway point at about 16, 16 and a half years, that's when the two of them are opposite each other with Earth in the middle. So that you have 33 years till it comes all the way around and lines up again, but the halfway point is at about 16, 17 years. Okay, I'm with you. So, so, right. so the halfway point seem to be at, uh, well... It's like a full moon. Right, so, the, so they're just as significant as the, as the conjunctions. Well, yeah, they seem to be. Like the full moon is as significant as a new moon. As a new moon, okay. okay. It's like the pendulum going, going you know, back and forth. It's like... Um, you know, two ends of the two ends of the spectrum. Oh yeah, and everything's two-way streets. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, as I'm talking here, I'm going to do a bit of modern technology, and that is, I got to switch phones because my battery's going on this phone. Okay. And uh, this will just take me a second, but if it sounds like um, sounds like something funny happens, you're gonna you won't lose me. But here we go. And it's sounding funny. And okay, and we're back, and I probably sound a little different. Uh, you sound just fine, and uh, that was a pretty good quick switch there. So okay, all right. So <laughs> um, okay, so 
So the new moon and the full moon are like opposite ends of the pendulum. You know, it's like the pendulum goes back and forth and back and forth yeah, and yeah. back and forth. Okay, so same right. thing with these uh, with these alignments with the planets. Okay. Same thing. All right. So in the fall of 2001, Saturn and Pluto were at opposite sides. They were in their opposition phase. It turns out that if we go back through history over centuries, over a couple of thousand years, it turns out that... Every 33 years, Saturn is lined up for about a year, and it's opposite Pluto for about a year. And it turns out that the major events of civilization, including the invasion of Rome, the fall of Rome, happened on a Saturn-Pluto alignment. Really? Including the 711 Arab invasion of Spain including Charlemagne's defeat of the Saxons in 782, including Martin Luther's posting of the 95 Theses in 15, what was it, 17. <laughs> All of these major events, and I'm only picking out a few of them, right. but, but they're significant ones. And it turns out that there's this on... Oh, here's, here's something really interesting, because, you know, this, this whole thing about the ongoing battle, if you will between Christianity and um, and the Muslim religions. And yeah, it turns yeah. out that in 630, when Muhammad actually took Mecca and created the State of Islam, that was during a Saturn-Pluto opposition, just like the year, just like the fall of 2001. Hmm, amazing. And this theme is repeated, I mean... Again, this could be an hour-long discussion um, of the variety of historical events that go all the way through time, including even the um, development of the concept of, um, uh, of Copernicus's book being published that said that the Earth was not in the center, and Galileo's house arrest um, basically started with a Saturn-Pluto alignment, and he recanted um, 16 years later on the following alignment. I mean, it's, it's just mm -hmm. weird how mm -hmm. this is so corresponding. Wow, okay. However, what we need to understand now is that this Saturn-Pluto alignment of, of, um, um, uh, 2000, uh, of September 11th, 2001, in 2010, Saturn reaches its quarter point, which is not quite, always quite as significant as the halfway point, you know, the opposition. Right. But it's still an important point. In fact, World War II happened on the Saturn-Pluto square, 90-degree angle point. And this next time round is going to be beginning in the fall of 2009 and will unfold through 2010 and then Uranus comes into the same picture by 2012. Is, <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay, back to 2010 for a minute. Is it always nasty? In other words, when these, things, when these particular alignments come, or, or are there correspondingly maybe amazing things that are happening somewhere that aren't getting yeah, the define, press? Yeah, define nasty. Right. In other words, right. Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses initiating the, um, the Reformation. On this, uh, on, on, you know, on this kind of a thing. 
um, uh, the United States, the American Constitution in 1786, that was a Saturn-Pluto alignment. You know, so there is this sense of important things can happen that are very positive. Right, so duality again. But, but A, we tend to remember the negative. Mm. And B, if there's stuff that's happening, this is when it gets squeezed out. Hmm. So if there are tensions, this is when it comes to light. Okay. And so as much as I would like to be positive and say, yes, there are and there can be and there may be positive things, certainly the way we've handled the, um, the, the September 11th, 2001, indicates that we may not have necessarily handled this in the best manner. No, the response could have probably been more well thought out. Yeah, yeah. And, and as such, there may be a price to pay or another round of, of kind of brush fire, hmm. if you will. Now, you know, we think of, 20, of, of the uh, two, September 11th, 2001 as this, you know, horrible, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a, not a good day. Right. However, in light of other um, events, uh, for, for example, um, in 20, in, in, sorry, in 1212, the Children's Crusade under a Saturn-Pluto conjunction, right. there were 50,000 kids that were killed. Right, a actually. horrific event in history. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or another one that's kind of uh, um, in, um, three, in 362. Um, there was an emperor of um, um, no, it was, oh, okay, it wasn't. It was in five, 532. Um, emperor Justinian, who was at that time in Constantinople, was trying to reconquer the Roman Empire, and um, and there was a tax revolt, and um, the year of a Saturn-Pluto opposition in 532, Emperor Justinian's um, imperial troops came into a stadium where there were 30,000 people watching a sporting event and killed every one of them. 30,000 people in a half a day. Wow. Killed by sword, individual, one right. at a time. Right, amazing. Gosh. And yet, you know, most people don't even know about that. Mm. The difference is now with digital media, Internet, etc., if something happens, we know about it everywhere. Right, no doubt. So uh, our ability to... To respond and to um, and and respond isn't always necessarily a good thing because often we respond out of fear rather than out of some higher form of emotion. Hey Rick, um, have you ever looked at the date back around uh, you, the 532? Made me think about 532 before the Common Era, and I know right around between 5 and 600 BC was the whole Nebuchadnezzar uh, Nebuchadnezzar deal with Iraq, uh, basically, and uh, um, the sacking of Jerusalem, I think. Yeah. Uh, if I'm, and if I'm not mistaken, in that same period of time, you also had some very positive good stuff. You had uh, Pythagoras, you know, you had um, mm. um, uh, Aristarchus of Samos, who was one of the first, you know, Greek philosopher, pre-Greek, but, you know, um, you also had, I think, in that same Within the same fifty or sixty years, you had um, uh, Buddha, mm-hmm. you know, the, in that you know four or five hundred you know BC period of time. Right, right, because that predated the Christian era by five hundred years or so. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. amazing. So it wasn't all negative, but it was a pretty powerful time. 
And incidentally, it turns out that that was one of the only times in in recorded history when Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Remember earlier we were talking about Uranus and Neptune uh-huh. and Uranus and Pluto. Right. However, in that 500 BC period, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto all came together in the sky. <laughs> Amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. So 2010, uh, things might get creepy, but who knows what else is going to be coming with it? And then you say things get even more interesting, and you giggle at 2012, and that seems to be. Uh, something that a lot of people are talking about, and uh, we're five and a half, six years away. What uh, what do you make of what's what's coming? Well, I you know I I don't think you need to be an astrologer to know that things are going to get more interesting. It sure seems that way. You know, and um, and like I said on on Jay's um, new movie about 2012, and he talked to a whole lot of people who oh. know a whole lot about those prophecies. My standing advice is don't cancel your appointments for 2013. (laughs) Now, that doesn't mean that some strange and weird stuff won't go down. But, you know, we tend to make whatever's coming up seem greater and bigger and worse than it is. Yeah, and it gets smaller as you approach it, maybe. Well, and as you go through it. You remember the whole, you know, millennium, you know, the whole, you know, Y2K thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great example. I mean, and, you know, for me, as growing up in the 60s, there was this sense that a lot of us thought it was all going to go down by the 80s or 90s. Right, right. You know, and it still hasn't. It's Mm -hmm. still, you know, and the the bottom line is, whatever it is that happens, the planets are still going to continue to go around. Right, right. You know, it's been said that, you know, that that we humans, you know, are, you know, are uh, uh, trashing the planet and, you know, and are kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know, dangerous, you know, to the we're, we're ruining the planet. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is that we may ruin ourselves, but but the planet's still going to be here. Right. I know it's arrogant to think that we actually have that much of, a, of an effect and control over what's actually happening. So, you know, so my... My my prognosis is based more on, it's not so much on false hope, but it has more to do with what we can do in our individual lives. Mm. Buckminster Fuller showed very clearly that one person could make a huge difference. Yeah, he was amazing. He went, went to my went to my alma mater at Carbondale, uh, Southern Illinois. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, he had this thing. He said, "Call me Trim Tab." A Trim Tab <laughs> is uh, is you know on, the, on on a boat like the Queen Mary. The rudder is four stories tall. Yeah. And there's no way you can move that rudder. It's too huge. It has too much pressure against it. And so this little thing on the back of that rudder called the trim tab can be just a couple of feet square. And yet you pull that rudder, and as you pull it, it creates a drag. And then that drag moves the entire the big, big rudder, giant rudder, and yeah. then the ship turns direction. Mm. And in a way, what Bucky said was that each and every one of us could be a trim tab. And so my feeling is this. It's one thing about being aware and concentrating on all these huge global issues, you know, end of the world, end of time, time wave zero, end of, you know, all these things. And and I think that all these things are important and they're profound to think about. However, it's more important to come back to the present moment and to and to cure the tensions that exist in your personal life. Right, right. 
because as Carl Jung, you, 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 t you talked about his book on flying saucers. His other, the book that he wrote after that was a book called The Undiscovered Self. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he said that there would be horrific wars that would not be able to be cured by political means. <laughs> that the only cure for war was by the salvation of the souls or the individuals living on the planet. Right. Because as long as we got crap going on in our lives, hmm. we're going to externalize and we're going to project that crap onto other nations and we're going to have war. And vice versa, yeah. And, why, and that's right. And so, and so the real work becomes how do we clean up our own lives? Mm -hmm. How do we, you know, how do we turn our own fear you know, into into love. Yeah, and how do we do And you know, and, and that becomes when we begin to do that, then those people who do that, regardless of what happens in 2011, 2012, 2013, will be able to move through that. You know, at least with with some semblance of grace. Right. Now, granted, there are big cultural things that happen. People do get washed away in larger tides. Hmm. What those tides will be. I don't know. Right. I'm sure they'll be. Right, you're right, and I and uh, and I and I like your your take on it because anybody who claims to know what's happening, uh, you know, I say that uh, doesn't. That's someone who doesn't really know because the only thing we know is that we don't know really what's happening, and uh, uh, but it's certainly uh, this the, you know this marriage with technology that began. You know, with the chipping of the first stone or whatever, Rick. That's what it's about right now. And, and again, it's amazing that we, we that we touched on McLuhan earlier. Uh, but but man, the mechanical bride is really uh, uh, really really becoming a prominent thing. And this marriage between man and technology is either going to have to be tamed uh, through wisdom, uh, you know, uh, the implementation of the technology, or or who knows what's going to happen. We, we you know it, we, we may have some great difficulty. Yeah, and, I, and you said earlier in the show, before I came on, you were talking about being an artist, you know, about finding your art. Yes. And my feeling is that art is certainly important because it's how we move through our experiences, how we reflect those experiences. But science is also about knowing what's going on okay. out there. Real science. Real science, not, not engineering and not just technology. Right. But, you see, my feeling is that although I consider myself a scientist and I consider myself an artist, for me, when you, when you are able to hold science and art simultaneously, then you become a magician. <laughs> because it's the magic that can happen when we combine the science and the art, when we combine the particle with the wave, when we combine time with space, when we combine, you know, the uh, uh, the right brain and the left brain, the mm -hmm. male and the female, that's where the magic happens. It is, and and then the uh, what did they call it? the alchemical dispensation yes. is awarded. Exactly. Wow! Fantastic, fantastic stuff, Rick. Okay, well, look, and I think that's a good place to probably call it uh, call it an evening, at least for tonight. Um, been tremendous and we'll have to we'll have to continue this conversation do this again all right we can do that wonderful all right well uh from my heart rick levine thank you so much 
It's been a quick two hours, and uh, let's mention the websites one more time. I'll let you uh, finish off with what any, any, anything you'd like to finish off sure. with. Sure. Uh, us the websites for sure. StarIQ.com, S-T-A-R-I-Q, thinkintelligentastrology.com. All right. Tarot, T-A-R-O-T.com. The DVD is Quantum Astrology, Science, Spirit, and Our Place in the Cycles of History. That's available either at sacredmysteries.com, or it's available at Amazon.com. All right. Or at Star IQ. And then the uh, the Barnes & Noble book, Your Astrology Guide 2006, available at BN, Barnes & Noble, BN.com. And um, that pretty much does it. Right, and then we got the new, uh, the new one. Uh, the new one coming out. Coming out. And anyone who wants to attend a magical 10-day initiation into astrology, October 1st with Jeff Jower and me, in Bali. Huh, right on. Put that one on your calendar. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds great, and uh, anyone who can make that one is going to be a great, uh, a great experience, I'm sure. So, all right, Rick. One more time. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right, everybody. That's Rick Levine, and uh, it's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. Next week, I'm taking the week off, and we'll have Casey in the house, and he'll do what he wants to do. All right. And we'll be back the following week on the 10th with Brian Trent. And uh, we'll talk about this amazing woman and the story of Hypatia. And you can find out a little bit about uh, Brian at rememberinghypatia.com. All right, so it's Mike. It's Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia, 89.5 FM. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to KOPN for making it happen. Thanks to Cosmic Waves Radio for making it happen live on the web. And uh, for everybody who participated tonight in the chat room, etc., I'm sorry if I didn't get to your questions, but uh, uh, we just got lost in it tonight. But it was wonderful stuff, and I hope everybody enjoyed the show. We'll play one more song here. And I mentioned earlier that most of the music is available on the web, and um, it is, uh, except for this one, Matt Presti, because uh, I haven't gotten any uh, word back from Matt in a while. I know he's a listener of the program, so uh, a lot of people like this song, and I don't know how to make it available to them other than through me. So I'm going to play it here. It's called Shine. It's by Matt Presti, and I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, we'll um, try to get in touch with Matt and find out more about his music and get him up on the website, okay? All right, one more time. It's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit, and we'll be back in two weeks. And until then, enjoy yourselves, and this one is called Shine.
soul learns difference. Moments where the light is, so why try to fight it? We all must live inside it, so go ahead and light it. Truth becomes a weapon when you start to shine it. There's a war for your soul, and it starts in the mind. It's time to jump in or be left behind. Are you lost in the darkness in linear time? Are you a child of the heart or a child of the mind? Duality is just a formality. Everything is one when you shine like the sun. No gravity is ever gonna hold you down. You gotta be lost if you wanna be found. The sun will shine away. We can be as one, or we can fall away. Don't be afraid to take the chance to make this world a better place. The sun will shine away. The darkness will never hold sway. So let go of your Gotta love and be loved. That's the only way. If I could write one song, I could take the whole world. This is what I'd say to all the boys and girls. You know something's wrong in the world today. Seven deadly sins and still more on the way. You gotta be strong. Head up to what's wrong. You're the next generation. So save this one nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Join me in the song. Sing along. The sun will shine away. We can be as one or we can fall away. Darkness will never hold sway. So let go of You got to love and be loved. That's the only way. The truth about the world is a test of the best. You gotta stand up in love or die like the rest. There's only one way to live to give back what you give. Sometimes you gotta lose before you can win. Unite the heart and mind and let yourself shine. There's a rhythm in the world so divine, so fine. Wake up and realize what's before your eyes. Go back to sleep. Keep living in lies. The choice is up to you, so decide what to do. Follow through, and don't give up, always be true. Many a fool will come, many a fool will go. Many a man believe in what he never will know. Are you experienced what you believe to be? Then stand up, you all, and repeat after me. I got the seeds, gonna plant some trees. Sending a shout out across the seven seas. The sun will shine We can be as one, or we can fall away. Don't be afraid Love and be loved.